New on Curiosity Stream, how do you connect a 16th century potato to limitless energy production? Could Napoleon's toothpick have a direct link to a machine that predicts the future? And how can a 1700s conch shell chart a course to humans connecting their brains to the internet? James Burke's visionary series, Connections, returns for a new generation. Experience all new Connections. With monthly, annual, and bundled plans, find the one that works for you at curiositystream.com. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. Welcome to High Stakes, episode 14. I'm your host, Neil Orfield. You can find me on Twitter at PlayerQDFS. And my guest today is an NFL showdown solely Millie Maker winner, one of, one of the few that we've ever had winning a solo Millie Maker on DraftKings. Uh, he is also the FanDuel World Fantasy Football Championship runner up. More recently, he has been absolutely crushing. MMA, clearly ahead of the field there. Uh, and Brian, I noticed recently uh, that you no longer have a Ballers NFT as your profile picture on Twitter. Uh, of course, Brian's Twitter handle is at Brian Jester FF. Um, Brian, how are you doing today? Neil, what's up, man? Appreciate you having me on the show. And uh, yeah, no more Ballers profile picture. I felt the need, you know, I, after I won the most recent MMA GPP, I felt drawn to having Oliveira is my profile picture, so things change, and uh, the profile picture had to change as well. A picture of a guy's eye being gouged out, is that right? That was Mike Jackson before. Actually, I guess that was oh, okay, the okay. one that, that drew it to me before, and that was mostly just to troll the people that, that messaged me and said that it was a terrible lineup. <laughs> right, right. And I, I gathered from uh, from your pod that you did with Blender, uh, you were on the theory of DFS recently, that you had a lot of haters in your in your DMs. Was, that, uh, was, it just a, was it just like one or two guys, or did you actually have a lot of haters? Because I haven't gotten, I've gotten some of that, but I've never had like several at a time before. Was it a... Uh, was it a lot of haters? It wasn't a ton. I mean, relative to my following, it was probably a ton. But, uh, Neil, that probably just means you're not making terrible enough lineups if you're not getting enough hate mail, I would think. I don't know. I've won with some terrible lineups, Ryan. <laughs> I, definitely, I definitely get some of that hate. I think it's inevitable, right? We all get, we all get some all right. of that hate here and there. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I was going to ask if you are just out of the Ballers NFT game. It sounds like you're not, you're not out of it yet. Uh, your, your brother Moose, I believe, still has a Ballers NFT as his profile picture. I also, of course, changed mine out. I used to have that. Uh, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, people aren't probably here to talk about Ballers, though, uh, as much as I would love to pick your brain about the NFT project. Let's get into some DFS. Uh, let's start with talking about your background a little bit. Um, what, what kind of training do you have, Brian, in uh, statistics, formal or informal training? Very little, honestly. I, I took one statistics class. It was criminal statistics in college, uh, but that was pretty much it. I've taught myself some statistics just through Googling things, and that's how I learned most things anyways. And I have two close friends. They're both mathematicians by, uh, by nature. One is a high-level mathematician for a government contractor. 
One is a high school stats teacher. So a lot of times I'll ask them, uh, you know, whether it's the stats teacher, I'll text her and say, hey, what do you think about this statistics idea or the high level mathematician? I'll say, I'm trying to solve this problem. What do you think of it? And I, I actually texted both of them when once COVID started and I started to get into MMA, I had some ideas rattling around in the head. But honestly, that's that's what it comes down to for me. I, I don't have any formal statistics training. Okay, interesting. And what about uh, computer programming? Any any formal training there or informal training? Do you do a lot of that? I know that you mentioned on, on Blender's pod that you work with your brother uh, on that end as well. Um, but what what kind of training do you have or, or do you, you have your brother do that kind of stuff? Yeah, so I was actually a computer science major at the okay. University of Maryland for three years, but I was I was so bad at it. I, I think I passed maybe one class. Um, it was a miracle that I, I got three years out of it, honestly. And it got to the point where junior year, it, it got, I was just looking, I said, there's no way I could possibly pass this course. I was getting by with like C's and D's early on and I just didn't enjoy it. And I said, well, let me look to another major. I ended up graduating with a, a criminal justice degree, but as far as computer science goes, I was so bad at it. And going into college, I was the type of guy that everything came natu naturally to me in high school. I, I felt like I was naturally smart. And so once I faced some resistance in college, I, I, and I didn't enjoy it. I said, well, you know what? I'm not even gonna put the effort in if, if I can't figure it out, who can figure it out? And I saw other people passing. I was like, well, I don't know what's going on here. So long story short, uh, I stopped doing computer science. And really, I think actually you and I talked about this when you came on my show that college really taught me how to learn and not really about what I learned, but the, the process of learning, that's what I really learned. And um, especially someone who, if I'm not interested in it and it doesn't benefit me, I have no desire to do it. It's a big reason I hated my day jobs in the plural in the past. I hated working. If I, if I can't get into it, and I don't like it, then I'm not going to put the time and effort into it. So uh, as, as far as that goes, so I, I have an understanding of computer programming, computer programming, and uh, my brother does do a lot of the computer programming for us, a lot of the data modeling, and he taught himself, first of all, so I'm always super impressed by what he does. So when we, when we work on projects, I know what's going on, and I can say, hey, let's try to do this, and I can look at code, and I can kind of understand what it's doing, but God forbid there's an error. Uh, sometimes I'll put my tech hat on and I'll try to fix it. But most of the time, uh, I, I really don't have a clue as far as computer science goes or computer programming. Okay. It sounds like you and I are kind of, I think we're, we're actually pretty similar in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Uh, and that is one in that I definitely, if I am not interested in learning about something, I just struggle so much more to learn about like and i feel like for me at least dfs is something that kind of came naturally to me just because i had a natural curiosity about it like i liked it from the beginning i wanted to learn it i wanted to learn how to be better uh, are you the same way and, and when did you start getting involved with DF, dfs and what drew you in no it really is the same thing for me i remember going back to college really quickly i took calculus three times because i hated it and but i needed to pass for computer science at that point and the first two times i got i think d's or f's and the third time I said, all right, you know what? Come on, I can, it's, it's calculus, I can do this, right? So I actually tried and I got an A plus, right? So it's like, it just goes to show that if, if you put in the effort, you can do it, right? So um, DFS, I started playing 2014, 2015. I grew up a, a fantasy football guy, first and foremost. I, when I found out about it, I was 12 years old and I, th I thought this was the greatest game you could ever possibly invent. So 12 to you know, 17, 18, I'm playing fantasy football, starting getting to more high stakes, 18 years plus, but... And then I grew up in a gambling family. So my, my dad trained racehorses for 35 years. So I was always at the racetrack. My parents bet on football. My family bet on football, my extended family. So I was always around some type of gambling 
and uh, and then went through the natural progression, poker, through the poker boom. I sports bet after college for a, a good period of time and then just naturally DFS. But DFS was, it came from my love of fantasy football. I was playing season long at the time and I kept seeing ads and I kept seeing people talk about it. But I actually said, let me take this whole season, see what it's about. I'm not going to play anything. I think it was 2013 or 2014. And then come back the next year and employ what I've learned. And, you know, I wasn't successful right away. And I was actually the type of player that, as you could probably guess with my play style, I was losing until I won, if that makes sense. No, I mean, that, that totally does mean. And that, that was going to be my next question is, were you a winning player right away? Uh, it sounds like you, you went through some struggles uh, to begin with. How, how long was that process for you that you were uh, a losing player before you kind of figured it out and it clicked and you started winning? It's, it's, it's tough to say because basically my entire strategy up until 2019 was just trying to accumulate satellite tickets to larger contests and bink that way. I wasn't 150 maxing. I wasn't playing cash games. And I was of the mindset because at the time I had a day job and had steady income that, you know, if I lose this money, whatever, I got a paycheck coming next month. My goal was just to try to hit something big, 50K, 100K, and I'd be happy with that. And then I could, I could grow my bankroll from there. So I, I was losing break even, maybe winning some, some seasons here and there. And my biggest hit before the Millie was, I think, nine or 9K or 12K or something like that. But, um, and as I said in my interview after the Millie, I never thought my first big win would be a million dollars. I thought six figures for sure. But, but leading up to that, I, and this goes back to knowing what type of player you are and what your goals are. I was okay with losing, you know, minus 10% ROI, minus 20% ROI every year, if it meant I had a shot at a big payday. And that was until 2019 before I decided to, to take it more seriously. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you still play that kind of high variance style where that is going to happen. You're going to have long stretches, most likely, where you are losing money before you have your big win, which which I guess is true of, of all uh, DFS. If, if you're playing GPPs, that's most likely the case. You're going to be losing for a while before you win. Uh, one way that I uh, think that we are different is you just said that you pl- you played for a year or you studied for a year before you actually entered any lineups in DFS. That's uh, that's really impressive restraint right there. What was uh, are, are, do you typically have that kind of restraint where you're able to just like no skin in the game? Because for me, I you know I I'm more I was interested because I had money on the line. Like that was part of the the reason I could right away uh, get interested in DFS because I'm like, man, I'm losing money if I'm not putting in the work, making good lineups. Uh, or do do you typically have that kind of restraint in other areas of your life? Uh, not for the most part. Mostly because now it comes out of fear of missing out and. Especially because, so I mentioned I sports bet for a little while, and there was always a paranoia, at least back then, that whatever new prop bet was coming out, whatever new bet type was offered, and this was the wild west days of offshore sports books, where you're going to get cut off or they're going to figure it out eventually. So you got to hammer as much as you can before. There's, there's no long-term game there, right? Just hammer it as much as you can until they kick you out, you get a new account, you get a new identity, whatever it is, right? Hammer it as much as you can. DFS, I felt that it would be around for the long haul, and I didn't think there was that much of a need to especially in 2013 2014 that i would have to jump in immediately plus i wasn't planning to risk a lot but these days especially like mma i i've i've come around to saying that if i think there's an edge because there's so few out there and i think a lot of people will agree with that that if there's an edge i got to try to hammer as much as i can not because i feel that the sports folks are going to take it away like that paranoia was back in you know 2010 or so but now it's because the field is going to catch up yeah yeah that makes sense um, and you, you keep mentioning that you, or you, you referenced a couple times that you used to be a sports better. Are you, I, I think I don't know where you live. Do you live in a state right now where you can legally sports bet? No, I'm in Maryland and they're dragging their feet. So okay. uh, I, I don't know how I feel about it. I obviously wanted to come back 
but I know that there's a potential that I could just dive headfirst in and, and never come back out. So yeah. I, I don't know. I'm uh, I'm busy enough with DFS. We'll see how, how things change. But yeah, I, I currently cannot bet on sports. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's not legal here in Minnesota either. So I'm also unable. Uh, my, my main concern is that if it becomes legal everywhere, maybe we lose DFS market and the contest get a lot smaller. Is that, is that something you're worried about as well? Oh yeah. And that's another reason to try to hammer things as much as I can now, right? Like we don't know what's going to be the future of DFS. And I, I'm, I think I'm probably on the optimistic side of things that it'll always probably be around and be a part of a gambling culture, but we don't know that for sure. So, you know, I'm trying to just get in what I can now. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. And I, we, we might've talked about this actually when I was on your podcast, but I, I quit my job in September to focus on DFS now in part because of that concern that I was like, well, I don't know if I'm always going to have an edge in DFS. I don't know how long this is going to last. So I got to kind of hammer it right now. Uh, and, and you also, I mean, you, you play DFS full-time. How, how long have you been playing DFS full-time and, and was your thought process similar that you got to, you know, strike while you have this kind of edge? Yeah, it definitely was. And I've been doing it for two and a half years now. It was late 2019 that I jumped into this full time. And it was partially that. It was also because I just absolutely could not stand working for someone else. I absolutely hated it. And just I, I couldn't do it. I was miserable every day waking up for work. And I thought that, you know, this is an opportunity for me. Obviously, winning the Millie was a great nest egg and a great uh, sum of money to fall back on and give me that that financial security to do it. And a lot of people don't have that that freedom and, and that luxury. I understand that. But for me, that gave me the opportunity to do this. And it, re yeah, it really just came down to what do I want to do with my life every day? Do I want to talk about sports, write about sports, build lineups, sweat lineups, or do I want to go work with someone else doing stuff that I don't care about? And ultimately it comes down to the first part. Yeah. And I, I'm the same way there again. I, you know, I was working a nine to five and I was like, man, I just do not enjoy this. So I'm just, I'm not that good at it because I don't enjoy what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't see any real benefit from working harder at this. Whereas now, I mean, I, I guess I do these shows, I do some awesome shows and that's the one exception where I, you know, I am working for somebody else, but I also really enjoy it. So I don't mind putting the work in for something that I enjoy doing. Um, but I, but I think that we are kind of similar in, in that way as well. No, dude, absolutely. And it comes, it goes back to what you said about working for someone else, not really wanting to do it. And for me, when I was working, my goal was, okay, one, how can I not get fired? That's first and foremost. Like what's the, what's the, how do I do what I need to do to not get fired? And if any of my former employers tune in and watch this, I apologize. Two, <laughs> two is how can I look better than what I'm actually doing? Right? Like what, what can I put out there to my boss, to other people in the organization that say, oh, Brian is, uh, Brian is good at what he does. We got to keep him around, right? So if, if I could focus on that, which is like the opposite of what you probably should be doing at a job, right. probably just be working and doing what you're assigned to do. But my entire focus was, all right, how can I, one, get as much time to play DFS and, and, and do DFS-related things while I'm at work? How can I make it look like I'm doing good? And for me, it was, let's go talk to everyone in the organization and just be friendly with them. And when my name comes up, oh yeah, I like Brian. Brian's, Brian's a good guy, right? He talks with me. And then everyone has the idea. They don't care about what I've done at work, right? So that was always my goal. And again, that's not a goal that you should strive to have when you're working, but that was just, right. that was just me personally. Between aging and busy lifestyles, many women struggle with maintaining their physical and mental wellness. At Aquavita Concierge Healthcare Services for Women, we can help you revitalize your health and reclaim your life. We start from within by balancing your hormones, allowing your body to achieve and maintain desired weight goals. We also specialize in peptide therapies, regenerative medicine, sexual health, and aesthetics in our state-of-the-art facilities. Feel better, look better, live better. At Aquavita, visit aquavitality.com and begin your journey today. Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? 
you can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com slash renew to learn more. Yeah, and I, I was kind of the same way. Um, I don't know that I, I was, maybe I wasn't as good at it as you were because I was not walking around meeting my coworkers, talking to the bosses <laughs> and stuff, schmoozing. I was more like, I just want to put in the minimum amount of work that they want me to do to try to not get fired was was definitely my, my main goal at, at my last both. job. It was also, I, I was doing a job that didn't play to my strengths at all. And I knew that going in, it was just kind of like, I wanted a job with a salary at the time. So I, so I did it, but uh, glad to be doing DFS full-time now. It's definitely uh, plays more to my strengths. Um, all right. Uh, which DFS sports do you play regularly now? I think that we know some of them. I know you play MMA regularly. You play NFL, at least NFL showdown. I, I believe you play uh, regular NFL too, but tell me about it. what, what sports do you play uh, regularly and, and what kind of volume are you playing? Are you a 150 max player, a single entry player, something in between? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's very dependent for me on the sport, the season, and so right now, my focus at this time, we're recording this in May, right? So my my focus is MMA, PGA. That, that's my biggest focus. And then I do play MLB. Fall rolls around. I'll get into NFL. I mean, like I told you, fantasy football. So NFL is my main sport that I, that I love to play. So And that's showdown and classic. Uh, NBA, I don't play at all. I absolutely hate that DFS sport. Uh, with a passion. I haven't played NHL much. I did qualify last year for the Fantasy Hockey World Championship, but it's one of those things where I felt that the edge completely evaporated, so I haven't really played much this year. And depending on the sport and what what part of that sport, like Showdown versus Classic, depends on the types of contests that I play. So right now for 150 max, I'm 150 max MMA, I'm 150 max PGA, I 150 max NFL Classic, Still on the fence. I'll probably go back to 150 maxing uh, NFL showdown this year. I didn't. I didn't do it as much last year. Um, but then I have a real. It's, it, probably in the last six months or so, I put a real focus on small field GPPs, and I do that in every sport. And so for the sports where I don't want 50 max, like MLB, uh, that that's my my primary focus there. Yeah, I was, I was noticing that in your results, you have a lot of wins where it's like the smaller contests where the top prize is, you know, 20,000 or so that you've been kind of focusing on those smaller contests uh, definitely has been showing up in your results and you clearly are doing pretty well in them because I'm seeing you getting first and second in a lot of those contests. So it seems to be working out for you. What What, what is it about MLB that makes you uh, decide not to 150 max? Is it just that you don't have the time to put in the same kind of work you put in other sports or is it, do you think that there's less of an edge MME in MLB? I think there's less of an edge. I also think the payout structures aren't the best, right? Mm -hmm. Like MMA, I can I can put in 15 bucks, 150 lineups, 100k up top. Uh, PGA, I can put in you know 15 to 20 bucks, 200 to 250k up top. Most of the time, these MLB GPPs are 50k up top. Sometimes we'll get 100k, but I also think there's a lot of 150 maxers that are pretty sharp in there, and I don't enjoy the process as much as I do with these other sports. The other thing is, I mentioned PGA and and, and MMA and NFL. You'll notice that those are all weekly sports. I can have a routine schedule where I can break up the work over the course of the week. I know, oh, on Tuesdays, I'm going to do this. On Wednesdays, I'm going to do this. MLB, one of the reasons I, I went full-time with this is so I can have flexibility in my life and the freedom to do what I want. And if I have to be at lock from, or be at my computer from five to seven, that kind of goes against that, especially when you have a fiance and you have to cook dinner sometimes and the people are inviting you out. Like you don't want to do that. So I, I don't want to commit fully to 150 max MLB, and I, I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze for me personally. I'm sure there's, that's not the case for everyone. So, 
And I, I imagine it's kind of the same for NBA. It's, I mean, if you don't like that, that time commitment for MLB, you're not going to like <laughs> NBA at all. Is that, is that what keeps you away from NBA? Yeah. And it's just like the dumbest sport, right? Like it's the, it's so projections heavy. The chalk doesn't fail that often. It's, I mean, if you look at the 150 max for the NBA, you talk about MLB, NBA is just insane. I just feel like unless you're doing something completely differently, and we'll talk about that here in a second, when we talk about process, right? That I feel like most of the 150 maxers there are just trading money. Most are probably losing money, but a, a lot of them are just, the money's changing hands over the course of the season, a couple of years. And yeah, it's, just, it's not something that interests me. The game theory aspect of it doesn't interest me nearly as much because it's, it's not event-based like most of these other sports. So um, something in the last year or two I've, I've also been working on is just play sports or do things that interest me. Don't feel like you have to play everything. And that's where that, that comes from. Yeah, and that's something I've been working on too a lot, just looking at where do I actually have success in DFS? And it's very clear that like there are a few sports that are my sports and they're they're the sports that I know the best. So it makes sense that I would be the most successful at them. And yet I'm still, I'm, I played golf this week. Uh, I probably shouldn't have. I, I, I've been not playing golf every week because I don't win at golf. Uh, MMA, I basically only play if I know I'm going to be talking with Blender on Monday about MMA. Then I'm like, all right, it makes it a little bit more interesting, more fun if I know I'm going to be talking about it. But I, I don't win at MMA. So uh, yeah, I think, it, I think it makes a lot of sense to focus on the sports that you you know you know that you do well at and you have had success at and obviously there could be other sports that you just haven't realized that edge yet but you know some some sports i'm more confident in. it sounds like you are some sports some contests uh focus on you know what you know um speaking of game theory a little bit so here a discussion that i've had with several recent guests is style of play uh and i play what i call an exploitative style of play and i think we've probably had this discussion before uh, a little bit and so uh you probably know what i'm talking about but for for the audience i'll explain Ex exploitative style of play the way i play is i look at ownership projections and a player's likelihood of success and i try to get more of players who are under owned and less of players who are over owned uh whereas some recent guests have said they play a more balanced or game theory style of play, game theory optimal style of play, which means that they try to get exposures in line with the player's likelihood of being optimal so they don't have to worry about ownership and take on a bit less risk. How would you describe your style of play? Do you fit into either of those buckets or do you think that you play kind of a different style than either of those? Yeah, it's tough to say. I don't really think I fit into either one of those buckets. And it also depends on the sport, right? Like MMA, I said this on Blender Show, I think a lot of people would look at my lineups and feel like I play exploitatively, but I feel like I play optimally or balanced, whatever you want to call it, right? But for me, how I think about it, and I'm not sure if I've heard anyone else describe it this way, and I'm happy to, to go more in depth on it, but basically I have a macro approach for each sport and I have a micro approach for each sport. And the macro approach will be, okay, for this upcoming, let's just say, let's say MLB, right? No, you know what? Let's, let's do NFL showdown because I can give a, a, a concrete example there. Okay. Macro, I want to try to get as many uniques as I can when I have 150 max every single slate. That's one of my macros. My second macro is I think NFL showdown has gotten a lot sharper. I don't, it's not I think, it has, right? NFL showdown has gotten a lot sharper. So maybe I need to play more exploitatively, but instead of trying to figure out each slate what that, that angle is, let's just play this same angle every single slate because I know over the long haul it's plus EV. Right. And a specific example I can give is playing a 1% player in every single lineup, right? Like tight end twos, tight end threes, running back threes, whatever you want to, wide receiver fives, whatever you want to call it. Right. You know that over the course of a season, those are going to hit, right? We see big winners with that every single, every single season, right? So if my macro for this upcoming season, I'm not saying it is, maybe it is, I don't know, we'll see, right? Where I want to try to get as many uniques as possible and to accomplish that, I want to play, I call them trash players, a trash player in every single lineup. Right. Yep. So now I have this macro approach for the whole NFL season. Now, Monday night rolls around. 
I have that guiding all of my decisions. Now for this particular slate, who are those players? What do I need to do to get unique? And always tying back to that macro really helps me get a, a, a grip on the slate. And that macro can change season to season as I do research throughout the offseason. And the micros change every single slate. So, um, yeah, really what it comes down to is doing that research for what that macro should be, where I feel the most comfortable. And, you know, sometimes the macro isn't that specific, right? MMA, I have a few macros. I'm not going to give them out here, but I feel that I don't have to get that specific because I have such a big edge. But for sports where I think the edge is diminished a lot, but there still is an edge and it's a more high variance approach, I try to stick to that macro throughout the course of the season while the day-to-day, -day, the slate, the slate is the micro approach. You ever play the backup quarterback? So that's, <laughs> I'm ultimately considering it this year because it's massively profitable on FanDuel. Yeah. They, they did start to change the pricing a little bit towards the end of the season, so I have to monitor that. But if you had a macro of playing a backup quarterback, 50%, and it's, it's, let's say 75 liners with one backup quarterback, 75 liners with the other backup quarterback, and you play that every single slate, you'll make money, right? Yeah. Are people willing to do that? Probably not. Am I willing to do it? We'll see this year because I think it, it is a, a profitable strategy. It's one of those things that you can't really do unless you have built up your bankroll. And you clearly have yes. built up a big enough bankroll that you can take on that kind of risk. Yeah, it's uh, I, I go back and forth. So that that is actually something that I used to do. Like when, when I was only playing 10 lineups at a time, I didn't have much bankroll. I totally, you know, I just think about like cutting through the field. What is the easiest way to cut through the field? Here's a player that if he gets his opportunity is likely to put up a lot of fantasy points at zero ownership. So you just need really one thing to happen, and that's the the starting quarterback has to leave the game. Yep. And then you've got this backup quarterback. So I can definitely see the merit. It's something that I have stopped doing just because uh, I found that it's not totally necessary and you can you can win yeah. without doing that. So so that's kind of the reason that I've I've gone away from it a little bit. But uh, yeah, that that makes I, I can see the logic to it. Um so so you say that you you force in at least one like one percent player into every lineup um is that something you do like with your optimizer you go in and say like you know at least one of these players in every lineup is that something you just set up in the optimizer yeah and this is just a hypothetical right I, i've never actually done this it was one of the ideas i tossed around before last season do i want to consider that one okay. of the a lot of the, the stuff that i ran before last nfl season what are the these different macros that i could potentially do this year but yeah i, I would in that scenario i would set up a rule where min one or probably exactly one of guys below X threshold set each to, you know, 8, 10, 12, 15% exposure. That way, you know, I have enough combinations of them that God forbid they actually hit and I don't win, then, you know, then you're jumping off a bridge, right? So, yeah, um, yeah it would be an optimizer rule to, to make that happen. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you, you tweeted out today, 44 entries paid $4,445 in the PGA Mega Millionaire and could not create a unique lineup in a 630-player contest. Uh, and this is something that you tweet about frequently. I actually remember you tweeting uh, before the Tournament of Champions last year. So it was a 40-person field NFL showdown. And you tweeted something similar, like, just don't dupe each other. Like, you're kind of, you seem <laughs> exacerbated. You seem like you're annoyed at people's inability to create non-duped lineups. Am I right about that? Or does, is that something that actually like bothers you? Do you get annoyed by people being unable to create un unique lineups? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's annoyance or just me trolling those people who got duped. I, re I really don't know where it comes from because there, if, if you actually spend that much money, and I, I don't know people's bankrolls, right? But if you want to play the highest level contest, you can't even put that one ounce of thought into your lineup that this might get duped, then you deserve to be made fun of. That's really all that comes down. I don't care what your other success is, right? That's all it comes down to. So for me, it's just pointing that out to people that, you know, no matter how great you think some players are, they still make very expensive mistakes. And I think uh, Nelson Adcock 
replied saying that one of the lineups today, it was duped five times in the 4K milli that had an expected ROI of minus 40%. That's before the tournament even starts. And like, again, it's one ounce of thought, right? It's just, it's, it's just brain dead jamming in projections without thinking about literally anything. So I guess it does annoy me to, to an extent, but uh, it's just more of a, uh, I, I'm surprised that it happens. And it just a reminder to me that even where we think the pros are the sharpest there there's tons of edges and, and and maybe it's not a direct edge there but they pay for the break mostly so yeah brian that's where we get our edge <laughs> right so you shouldn't be annoyed you should love it i know i, know. I, I do say. i do i do i do love it, secretly yeah <laughs> all right yeah that makes that makes more sense to me that you love seeing that because i definitely when it, when i see that kind of thing i'm like awesome there, yeah a thousand people played this lineup in nfl showdown you do you. I love it. Yes. Uh, that give, just gives us a little bit more advantage. Uh, would you agree with the statement that you specialize in contests where the field has a high number of dupes and there is a lot of variance? I would say so. That That's certainly one area where I specialize just because. So there's a couple of things I want to discuss here. The, the first thing is a lot of the work that I've done comes from things I've learned outside of DFS. So most of the, my, as we said at the top of the show, I don't have a statistics background. I'm terrible at computer science. So I'm not gonna out math anyone, right? My projections generally, I say generally, aren't from a math perspective, aren't gonna be better than other people's. There are some scenarios where I think they're, they're tremendously better, but I'm not gonna out math people. So my whole thought process last four or five years is how can I learn from other successful people in other industries it's called, I guess a lot of people call it cross-pollination, but like taking ideas from one industry and, and putting it into your industry and now coming up with these novel ideas, right? So I, I do that a lot. I've learned from watching interviews with musicians or people who are really good at video games, like speed running video games, reading topics about human psychology, like all, all different books that I, if someone is successful, I will listen to them, what they have to say. And as I'm listening or reading, how can that impact my strategy? I have so many ways that, I, you know, that I haven't read in DFS that I've, I've learned from other areas that I've applied to my own. So that's one way. I think that's one way. And by doing that, one of the things I learned is just try to understand that whatever you think is going to happen probably will not happen. And allowing my brain to think that way and being okay with, as we say, embracing the chaos or embracing the uncertainty. I think that's why I'm so good at making lineups in these unique sports for sure. Um, and yeah, that, 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 that's a big, and I don't know if you want to expand on that before we go to the next topic I want to talk about, but yeah, yeah I, think, I think having that is, is, is so huge. Between aging and busy lifestyles, many women struggle with maintaining their physical and mental wellness. At Aquavita Concierge Healthcare Services for Women, we can help you revitalize your health and reclaim your life. We start from within by balancing your hormones, allowing your body to achieve and maintain desired weight goals. We also specialize in peptide therapies, regenerative medicine, sexual health, and aesthetics in our state-of-the-art facilities. Feel better, look better, live better. At Aquavita, visit aquavitality.com and begin your journey today. Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com renew to learn more. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I was going to kind of add in that question, uh, sort of just related to, are you uh, a big student of the game? So it sounds like you you study things outside of DFS. 
a lot to find edges in DFS because I mean you're unique in that you are kind of a front runner in the space where you seem to figure things out before the rest of the field does. I mean, it happened with NFL Showdown, happened with M MMA. Now you you seem to be just ahead of the curve always uh, in these sports. Is that something? So so do you think that you are ahead of the curve because you are studying spaces outside of DFS, or are you are you also at the same time kind of studying DFS contests? Like what what have people been doing in DFS contests to try to kind of realize your edge? What what do you think you're doing that uh, is giving you this edge? How how much work are you putting into it, and what kind of work? It, no, it's definitely a combination, right? Having that 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 background, that foundation of of these other areas, and when I'm looking at DFS, I have all these ideas to think about how I can approach DFS. But also, I study my ass off in DFS. Now, I, one of my goals for 2022 was do not enter a contest unless unless you've properly studied the right way to play that specific contest. And being ahead of the curve, whether it's showdown, like you said, I was actually I was. You know, I'm not like Colin Drew, who had like six, seven showdown wins. I was a little bit late to that, and I still regret that. But it, and I, I ran hotter than the sun that when I decided to put all my eggs in one basket that I hit for a million dollars. But I knew there was an edge there, and I was ahead of the curve, right? Now, MMA, I'm trying to jam as much as I can this year until that edge remains. And, uh, yeah, so I think just studying, studying really hard. And I, I think my one of the other areas that I'm really good at and ahead of is small field contests. I told you I put the focus there, and I've I've studied so much about that optimal constructions, and I've studied individual contests. And because I'm not that great at computer science or, or math, a lot of this is manual work that I had to do that could probably be easier. I can you know text my brother like, hey Moose, what are you up to today? Can you can you run something for me? I was like, it should be easy. He's like, dude, you know it's never easy. I was like, I know, <laughs> but to me it's easy, right? So uh, really, those two things: studying studying individual contests um, and and not playing unless you have a specific plan on how to attack a contest yeah that makes sense to me uh so you, you play a lot of small field you say are these high stakes contests like are you, are you entering contests with big buy-ins or are you also playing the like you know two thousand person contest where it's just twenty dollars to enter you know five thousand to first or, or whatever the case may be are you are you entering some of those lower stakes small field or are you focusing just on on high stakes small field yeah i guess i should clarify it's, i guess it's high stakes small field where it's you know $300 plus, but most of the contests are less than 150 entrants, less than 200 entrants, somewhere in that range. But those are typically pretty sharp players, right? So it's so for me, I find that I do much better in large field stuff. I, I've talked about this before, that I'm actually, I, I'm negative. I've lost money lifetime in contests that have a buy-in of higher than like 20 bucks. So basically all <laughs> the majority of my wins, I, I have, and I've won some, I've had some six-figure wins in those higher stakes contests. Just overall, I've lost so much uh, when I don't win that for me, I'm, I'm a lifetime loser there. And most of my money comes from, uh, the high, the higher field stuff, the, the larger field stuff. Um, so what do you think it is? Uh, that, how do you think you find your edge in the high stakes stuff, despite the, the, the fact that you're playing against generally great players? I mean, there, there's not that many really bad players in high stakes stuff. Do you think that it's uh, just because you studied it so much, you, you kind of know what you can expect these players to do? Is it because, you know, because of the small smaller player pool in these contests, you kind of know everybody's play style is that kind of where you think you find your edge yeah i mean it goes back to literally just the the 4k milli pga conversation right like if people are going to make that that mistake at such a high level they're going to make that mistake in a 100 player contest or a 200 player contest and yeah studying it is is a big factor but i think listening to your show 
has confirmed this belief for me a lot where you hear a lot of pros talk about lineup lock and uploading lineups and they're not putting as much thought into which lineups go into which contests where I'm literally, I have a separate process for different contests and MMA on Saturdays, 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. I'm making my small field contest lineups, you know, uh, on MLB. Uh, that's that's a bad example, but NFL, right? Saturday all day, I'm making my, my 150 for Sunday, but then I'll set aside another hour or two to make my small field lineup. So that is, uh, I think that's important. And that's where a big edge lies because a lot of people see the Sharks and the pros and they get scared and think that, wow, it's really sharp there, but they're just mindlessly jamming in lineups that aren't optimal. Outside of, there's definitely, obviously, pros that that play them very well yeah. uh whistles whistles go woos come to mind as, as one of the, the great small field players but and looking now i have my rotor tracker up here right if you look at contests between 100 and 250 entrants this year i have an roi of 70 percent. and if you look at it let me i'm gonna pull it up all time so this gives you a little bit of an idea of uh all time my roi is three percent in that okay. range so so something clicked show. Yes. Recently. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's just from, from studying and figure would you say that players in those contests tend to play too optimally or tend to get away from the optimal lineup too much? Both. It's, it's, okay. it's a, it's a barbell where it's like you either play too chalky or you don't, or you, you play too crazy. And I, I think what that comes down to is you have the pros that are, they have their main lineup and they're entering that into everything, right? Like a mock loving type, right? And yeah, they're, they're playing. Yeah, EM2, like playing that in every single contest and uploading, right? And obviously that's not optimized. Will this conversation change that? Probably not, maybe for a couple. I'm not, I'm not too worried about that. And then you have the guys who I used to do this, and this is why my ROI suffered so much, where you make 150, you make 300, whatever many lines you're making. And then as you're uploading into your CSV, you have some satellites, you enter other smaller contests, and you're like, uh, let me take this group. And whether you have a process for that or not, oh, let me sort by projected ownership or sort by raw projection. And let me throw that in these contests, right? None of that is optimized and it's on two opposite ends of the scale there. So knowing that and hearing it confirmed on multiple shows uh, really gives me the belief that unless something dramatically changes, I don't know if it will. Cause a lot, I mean, it's, there's only so many hours in a day. So uh, yeah, I think I'll continue to hammer that edge then. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I can definitely see why you would find an edge by just focusing on those contests. Because I've said it on, on one of my shows before that I entered a, a high stakes contest or I, I this is NFL showdown. I did my process of like, okay, making 160 lineups or something, right? And I enter 150 into the large field and I, I sort it by projection and put the 10 highest projected of my 160 set into the uh, high stakes one. And then I look at it and one of them had like some random like backup tight end who was not going to make it in. Somehow <laughs> yes. was in one of my top 10 best projected lineups. And I was like, I have him in literally one lineup out of my 160 set, but he made it into my top projected. And clearly I look at that lineup and I'm like, I know that he doesn't belong in this contest. I don't need to go this crazy, but yeah, I can, I can see how you could find an edge against people like me who just don't put in the work to be like okay this is what i need to do here's the the player pool that i should use potentially in this uh smaller field contest as opposed to the large field um so yeah i can definitely see where you would find a little bit of edge there oh, dude, um, yeah. showdown's a great example too because there's i'll give you a very specific example last year it was the uh the ian book slate the monday night saint slate where i mean i don't even want to talk about that slate but first of all there was a $500, $700 small field contest. And Nick Vanette was the, the quote unquote popular value play that week. He was, he was 1K and he was like 70% owned in the, in the $700 or whatever it was. And just like, if you take a step back, it's like, why should this terrible player be 70% owned in yeah. any contest? So all you have to do is just make one little pivot. You can play optimally the rest of the way 
or even change your line of construction. And, uh, you know, th that was another, uh, like aha moment. I was like, whole, oh my God, this is, this is really bad. Yep. That makes, that makes sense to me. Well, let's stick, let's talk about NFL showdown just a little bit, because you won a solo Millie in NFL showdown, which I don't think there are many people who can say that. I, I mean, maybe, you know, before kind of the field got there, maybe there were a few more than I realized, but I just think that that's such a hard thing to do to win a solo Millie in a contest that typically you'll have a couple hundred thousand people in it. And, you know, uh, a lot of people are going to be duping, but uh, it's just, it's really hard to win solo in, in a contest where there's not that many players that you can choose from. Uh, how long before everybody else figured out that it's important to avoid dupes, did you realize that you could find massive edge just by getting a little bit unique? It was, it was during that 2018-2019 season. So the Millie was the Super Bowl of 2019. It was Rams Patriots Super Bowl, right? And I made... <laughs> So as I said, 2019 is when I started to change my style. And up until then, I told you I was just hunting satellite tickets, trying to get a big hit here and there. And it got to the point where I was thinking, okay, my job is getting worse and worse. I hate it more and more. I need to find a way to get out of here. And the only way to seriously make money at the time I thought this, and I still think it's mostly true, is I got to learn how to 150 max. Because at that time, I wasn't 150 max in anything. So I need to learn how to 150 max. So let's put in some time there. So that, I guess this, this was one area where I was able to show some restraint. Let's study NFL contests, work with my brother. Let's just pull uniques every contest. Because I, I would see some slates at the top, just massive duplications. Like, well, people have no chance of winning. That was my thought then, right? You if the top prize is 300,000, you can't win that if you enter a duplicated lineup. That was just my initial thought process. Started studying, started studying. And then I do a lot of prep work for the Super Bowl. Anyways, we always go out to Vegas every year to bet on the Super Bowl. And so I thought, well, this is the perfect opportunity where I've won a decent amount of tickets to enter this, this Super Bowl GPP. And I've studied it. I know it's going to be the softest showdown field we've ever seen with all the casuals playing. So I've studied it. I've put in the work. Let's start my 150 max in here. And $1,500 at the time was a lot of money for me in my, as far as my bankroll goes. Mm -hmm. And yeah, ran as hot as you could possibly run in like the fifth 150 max contest you ever enter, you win a million dollars. Sure. I, I totally, totally understand that, but I knew there was an edge there and I wanted to push it. And I was going to push it the following season as well, whether or not I won, I had the bankroll to do it, but I noticed that there was a little bit of a sharpening up until uh, once that following season started, I think I had four, I want to say four top tens in, in, uh, in showdown that year in 150 maxing, but I still don't know if it was variance or, or, or what. And, but the big, uh, the big difference, the big change was after that season. So starting 2021 was just a massive change in showdown sharpness. And that's when I pulled back my 150 max play. So, um, yeah, I, I wasn't as early as Colin and I'll never admit to saying that uh, Colin absolutely crushed it. He's, he's one of the, 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 the forerunners of, of NFL showdown. And I, I saw him doing some of the stuff that he was doing in it. And that kind of propelled me to start studying it even more. So yeah, this, it, it's a big, it, I talked about it on, on my show recently too. It's, you hear a lot of whether it's sports betters or DFS players, they built their bankroll where they found a huge edge before the field could catch on. And whether I know uh, Steve Buzzard works with you guys, he talked about NBA before anyone caught on. He was able to, he's like, I couldn't believe this. And that's the feeling you get. That's the feeling you get when he's like, no one else knows this yet. And sure. It may be, very unlikely that I win the million dollars, but I'm going to win a big prize at some point. No one else knows what I'm doing. I cannot believe this. And you get that excited feeling. I have that excited feeling about MMA right now. I got that excited feeling at the beginning of the year with Showdown uh, with a small field and I had that excited feeling 
uh, obviously when you win a million in NFL showdown. So I think that's a, that's a huge thing. I think a lot of people need to try to look into whatever area it may be. Yeah, no, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so you, you've referenced Drewby a couple times before, and I know he he was your first interview uh, on the Emotional Bankroll podcast. Really, really sharp dude um, who has now retired from DFS. I feel like I, I sort of missed Drewby's heyday in terms of showdown because, or maybe I, I think I just was not paying attention because I wasn't a very great showdown player at the time. Uh, I I got the impression when I think when when you talked about Drewby with. Uh, blender that he was more of a like you know found all of the little correlations in showdown whereas you were the one that was more like i'm gonna get unique or am i wrong about that was he also like uh playing unique lineups was he was he ahead of you even in terms of playing like trying to find unique lineups or was he uh or was he more playing just more optimally in terms of finding you know the little correlations here and there no, I always make fun of Colin with, with his uniqueness. And uh, especially in, in the later years, I would always make fun of him for the lack of uniques he would have. But okay. he, he was able to find correlations before the field knew what that was. Obviously, yeah. the field knew about correlations. But at the time, people thought Showdown was just this roulette wheel uh, of yeah. randomness. But when he found out that there are plenty of ways to play correlated lineups, and most of his lineups were, I don't know, he may have had one or two uniques, but they were, they were lightly chopped. And this dude had like eight wins in, in Showdown with like less than five dupes when the prize pools were six figures. Like he made a lifetime of money in one or two seasons playing showdown. So uh, he played it differently than I did. I was more focused on the fact that, oh my God, I can't believe no one's winning these contests by themselves. It can't be that hard, right? Can it? it clearly it's not that hard, right? So um, why well, he focused on the fact that no one's playing the correlations properly. So it's just different, different ways of, of approaching the same puzzle. Yeah, and that, it's funny because I think that we've now gone past that point so we he he was winning more so in the point where i was like people have not figured out the positive correlations right yet so it's like uh so i'm gonna be i'm just gonna more positively correlate my lineups i'm gonna be if i have a wide receiver in the captain spot i'm gonna have at most one more wide receiver from his team in the rest of my lineup or whatever whatever the positive correlations would be i feel like now we've gotten to the point where it's almost like i i tell people to play negative correlations. I'm like, play your defense against your quarterback is something that I like. I try to play some slight negative correlation because I'm more focused on getting unique and, and finding ways to, you know, get unique without making what I think are, you know, lineups that have no chance. And sometimes to, for me, that's like, I will play, I'll play two running backs from the same team because other people aren't going to do that. Or I'll play the opposing defense against the quarterback in the captain spot because I know other people aren't going to do that, that kind of thing. Uh, and it's, I, I think that you're more more along the same lines as me, uh, that you play, that you embrace a little bit of that negative correlation where you think that the field kind of overvalues the negative correlation. Am I right in, in, the, in that sense that you sometimes embrace a little bit of uh, that negative correlation? Is that, is, uh, do you include that in embracing the chaos? Yeah, I think you have to. That, that's part of it for sure. But I also felt that when, and I feel this way in MMA now, like I feel that I don't think I was building that terribly. Like I had a ton of uniques in NFL Showdown for the Millie slate, for other slates before and slightly after that. And I didn't think they were that bad. I thought I was building relatively optimally, right? I wasn't trying to get too exploitative. Whereas now I feel like I, that, that macro approach, I feel like I have to get crazy enough to feel like I have a consistent chance at positive ROI outside of just a random bank, right? So it, it definitely depends on, on the sport and, uh, and the time, the time frame for sure. So I had another point there. Uh, maybe it'll come back to me when, uh, when we continue the conversation. All right. So uh, 
how did you figure you, you kind of went into how you figured it out kind of that you needed to get unique you were, you just kind of studied what other people were doing you saw how many dupes other people were running and you thought okay what can i do it's not going to take that much to you know get unique and, and not run into this issue of a million dupes uh what, what did you do to maximize your edge to try to to find unique lineups what what kind of things do you do to uh, to re to maximize your edge after you realize that that is the edge to play some a little bit more unique in showdown. Yeah, and I remember the point. It is about that. It's where early on the Super Bowl win, and then the following season, my uniques didn't suffer. I didn't have to change my strategy much. And then the following year, I found that wow, my uniques dropped off a cliff. And now I have to change my strategy to something that's way more high variant, uh, way more high variant approach to try to try to win these contests. And that's something I try to monitor as well. That's why I'm, I'm so paranoid about MMA. I, I check religiously every slate that my uniques are where I want them to be. And again, I can, I can pretty much know going in where I think they're going to be. And as long as I'm within that range, I, I feel okay. But as far as uh, back in NFL showdown, trying to figure out how to create uniques, it was mo studying what did the most duped lineups look like, right? Like what is making these lineups so duplicated? And then looking at the, the few lineups that did win, and whether there were no solo, no, no solo wins in a milli up until my point for that for uh, for showdown, but there were some some smaller six figure ones. And it's like, okay, what did these guys do? What did what did these players do? And I don't run simulations on a slate to slate basis, but I do some work with a partner where we run some of these off season sims on on lineup constructions. It's like, and it's those macros. What if I what if I did this and I ran it a thousand lineups, ten thousand lineups. What does that look like? And I can't remember if I told this um, this story on a podcast before, but I was listening to a podcast with a professional gambler. And in this interview, the, the topic was advantage play in casinos and whether that's counting cards. But the specific topic was dice control, which for those out there who don't know, there is a theory. It's still kind of shaky, the evidence on you can set the dice a certain way. And depending on the table and how you throw the dice, you can make the dice land and you can influence the probabilities on whether or not a seven shows up or whatever numbers show up, right? And so th there was this long in-depth conversation about this. And so this professional gambler said, I'm of the belief when I have a new idea, I need to take it to the extreme. And if it works at the extreme, I can scale it back and, and see where that, 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 that tipping point is. So in this example, he said, listen, if I can control the biggest dice possible, I know that maybe eventually I can control small dice. So he started with like these like novelty dice on the smallest table. It's like, if I can flip seven so many times here, let's take this down and scale it down and move dice further and further and further. So that's my, my that was my line of thinking was, all right, let's take it to the extreme. If I do 150 uniques, if I do 10,000 uniques, if I could enter 10,000 lineups, what does my ROI look like? And then scale that down to an appropriate amount that, that makes realistic sense for that contest. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's a, that's a really interesting story to start with a, a big die and move down. Uh, that's very, very cool. Let me take a minute away from this conversation with Brian Jester to tell you about our sponsor, Noos Advantage. Noos Advantage is bringing you a different way to enjoy DFS with player props contests. It's 100% peer-to-peer to help level the playing field with over 500 player props offered. All new users get a $25 deposit bonus with promo code AWESEMO. That's A-W-E-S-E-M-O. Noos Advantage has mass entry capability and big prize pools. Beat your friends, not the house. Use our Noos Advantage projections and optimal lineup tool to help you take down big prizes. Download in the app store or play on noosadvantage.com. Um, so I can't say that I've ever felt that I was well ahead of the curve in any kind of DFS contest. Uh, 
what were the emotions like on, on each slate uh, for, for NFL showdown? I guess now for we'll talk about MMA is kind of the same thing now, but what are the emotions like when you feel like you have this massive edge and you have a real chance to win huge money every time you play because most of the field, including pros, are just missing an edge that, that you have over the field. You're, you're getting there before them. Is there more of a rush than there typically is in the typical DFS contest? Uh, or is it just that much more frustrating when inevitably you're, you're going to lose more slates than you win? How, how does... How do the emotions play in uh, for you in terms of having an edge and, you know, realizing it sometimes and maybe not always? Yeah, I don't think you end up being exempt from complaining about not winning, right? Like, no matter how much you think the edge is, I'm always going to complain every Saturday or back then every NFL showdown slays. Like, ah, I can't believe this didn't happen. Or, like, I only needed this to happen. And, it's, you know, it's, it's while you may be maximizing an edge, that edge is still pretty small when you're playing 200,000 people, right? So, yeah, it, it, it definitely is more exciting on those slates, especially when the top prize is six figures, right? Six figures plus, where you know that I'm probably in the best position of anyone here to win this amount. And yeah, it's a small probability, but I'm certainly in the best position. So like now I get the most excited to watch MMA. I was, I still get really excited to watch NFL, right? I'm, I'm NFL guy at heart, right? And NFL classic, even though my edge isn't as big there, uh, I, I, still, uh, I still get excited to watch. But yeah, there's, there's no doubt that the excitement is through the roof when you have the edge and you know that that is possible every sleep. Yeah, for sure. I can, I can imagine. Uh, I, I'm a little bit jealous of the edge that you're finding in MMA because uh, it's just it would be it's such a it's such a fun sweat even for me when I do have you know a ton of not not a ton of dupes but I typically I'm nowhere near where you are in terms of finding unique lineups uh, in MMA. It's I'm more shooting for like you know 10, 10 dupes and and under ten is kind of more of my goal, more right. realistic for where I'm at in my MMA process. Uh, let's let's move on and talk about MMA a little bit because I feel like. Most of the questioners that I got from listeners were about MMA. Everyone wants, a secret, everyone wants a secret sauce. Everyone <laughs> wants a secret sauce. You are absolutely crushing MMA. Uh, clearly ahead of the curve. As, uh, what, have, what have you done? Four six-figure wins in MMA? Do you, do you have, is, is four correct? Yeah, four. So it's two 100K last year and then the 100K and 200K this year. Yes, yeah, so, so four total. Which, and, and you know, it, it's a weekly sport. And is it, is it every week for the entire year? I feel like it's still seasonal. Uh, they they actually take a few weeks off, but it's you get like forty five plus slates, so it's okay. it's pretty much year round. But still, not not a huge sample. Like we don't have that many MMA slates to go on. So to have four six figure wins already, uh, you're I get probably not the most profitable MMA player because there have been millie makers. Uh, but you're probably the most uh probably have the most six figure plus wins of anybody in mma i could be wrong about that but you're certainly uh close to it so you clearly have a big edge in mma um do you think you'll be able to maintain an edge in mma for as long as you did in nfl or do you think the field's gotten so sharp that uh you know expected to catch up quicker than it did with nfl showdown i go back and forth right the pessimistic side of me said yeah obviously they're going to catch up right but the optimistic side says that there's a, a dichotomy here in who's playing these contests. You have UFC fans or UFC analysts where they know the fighters and they know the fights and they, they know matchups, but they don't necessarily know how to play DFS the right way. There are, there are so many UFC-based DFS players, UFC analysts, that I respect their opinions on how they predict fights, how they think fights are going to go. But then I look at their lineups and there's, there's clearly a disconnect between what they know and how to win a GPP. And then you look at DFS pros who flock to these contests who know game theory. They know how to get uniques. They know how to build lineups the right way. They probably studied the contest. Hell, they probably studied my lineups. But they don't have the sports-specific knowledge. And I didn't have the sports-specific knowledge either. I started playing MMA when COVID started. But 
I have an obsessive personality. If there's something, like I said, if I like it and I know I can be good at it, I'm, I'm going to go all in. So like right now, I'm the biggest UFC fan possible, right? I'm, I'm, I'm looking at every single thing every single day. Before, like I never watched UFC before March 2020, like maybe one card. But now I'm watching UFC videos every day. I'm watching like regional fights to, to get an edge on people. So um, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it, it goes back and forth on, on what I think is going to happen. And um, I guess one point I do want to bring up here, and maybe we can talk about this a little in depth, is yeah. is quantitative versus qualitative data, where I think 99% of projections in the industry are quantitative. And that's, especially like NBA, right? That's, that's pretty much all you need for the most part. But if you want to be super successful at those sports, I, Travis Petty comes to mind, right? You have to add some sort of qualitative element to this. And Travis he knows rotations better than anyone, right? That's his qualitative edge that most quantitative projections aren't going to be able to figure out. Our MMA projections, and I say are because my brother's involved, I think quantitatively, from a quantitative perspective, they're the best. Then you add in the qualitative, and I think it's not even remotely close who has the best MMA projections, right? It's, it's, it, there's no doubt in my mind that no one puts the work in that we do and that there, no one has as predictive projections as we do. And I don't say that to brag. It's just I, I'm proud of the work that we've put in there. And the big tipping point for me on this was, uh, I, have you ever read Astro Ball, the story oh, about the Astros and analytics? So, you know, everyone knows that the Astros for being one, on the forefront of analytics, and especially in recent years. But the one thing that stood out to me, I remember reading it and like putting down the book and was like, oh my God, this is, this could be a, a game changer, was they were talking about scouts. And at the time, analytics was hot, right? And everyone was saying, scouts have no value. We have all the numbers. We have so this huge sample size of data. What do we need scouts for? And the Astros saw that, you know, people were starting to catch up on the analytics side of things. Like where else can we, can, can we get an edge? And they, these scouts, right, they have 50 plus years of experience. I mean, a lot of people see the, the, the Moneyball movie, the, the famous scene with the, 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 uh, the scouts. And like, oh, he's got an ugly girlfriend. He's got no confidence, right? He's got a good jaw. He can hit a fastball. And everyone's like laughing at that, right? But the Astros thought, we have like 50 years worth of scouting reports, right? Let's take each individual quality, characteristic that you want to call it, that these scouts talk about. Does it actually translate, right? So every single time a scout has said, this guy has a good jawline, does that translate into anything, right? And they found that while these scouts may be talking out of their, uh, out of their head, right, on some of these things, there were some predictive traits that they were, that they were looking at that they may not know, right? They, they, they may know, all right, this guy has an ugly girlfriend. That's not a predictive metric, but this guy has broad shoulders and that generally predicts success at the major league level or whatever it may be, right? So for me, I was like, wow, is there any area in DFS where I can look at qualitative data and especially in unique sports or sports where there are a lot of players in the player pool. Obviously you can't do this for every single player, but a good example is, is PGA where everyone, and I say everyone, most DFS pros play projections heavy, right? You'll look at guys, you'll know who's going to be high owned based on where their odds don't line up with their salaries for the most part, right? Then you have the golf guys who know golf and they know the inside knowledge and they crush PGA DFS. A good example, and I, I'm not saying I'm on the same level as MMA, but I think I'm on the precipices, a precipice of a big breakthrough in PGA because of this, is looking at some of these qualitative scenarios in PGA. A, a good example that I don't mind sharing is you read through players' quotes before the start of each tournament. And you know, I always joked with our, our PGA guy that I work close with that you know, if a guy's 
coach is in town, right? He's going to fix this swing. And for anyone who ever played sports and they, they work on their fundamentals, generally the next couple of outings, you feel pretty good about yourself. And I found that if a, a player talks about his coach being in town, his strokes gained above baseline is, I, I, is dramatically above what he's been playing in recent weeks. My home down payment would be $74,000. But with my VA home loan, my down payment is zero. My service was then. My benefits are now. Get what you earned. Visit choose.va.gov. Not all veterans are eligible for the type or amount of benefits mentioned here. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. And that, that makes sense intuitively, but it's not something that projection could ever capture. Right. And I can't do that for every player, but that, if that player is 2% owned, and he performs well above baselines, I have a chance to win a GPP with that player. So trying to combine all this together, and it's only, again, you can't do it for every single player, but this has been a big area of success for me in MMA, and I think it's going to be big at PGA for me as well. And I think this could be something that people can look into. You get the birthday narrative in NBA, right? Does it matter? I don't know. But you could track that. Go look at a player's baseline on his birthday versus not birthday. And I think if you find areas where projections aren't picking up, that's where the edge lies for the future of DFS. You know, Sony, I think a, a few years ago, before I ever, like, you know, got to Awesome or anything and, and found their projections and learned to win without doing my own kind of data analysis, that was the kind of thing that I really wanted to look into was all those stupid little things like players playing against their former team and players playing against their former team who traded them away versus <laughs> who they left as a free agent. Like, I wanted to look into all of those things, see, like, is there anything to these narratives of, like, players on average, you know, have uh, a higher projection when they play against their former team that traded them away and they played there at least five years now. You could look into all of these different things. And, right. of course, of course, I never, at this point, I'm like, well, I've kind of learned to win without doing that so i i have not made any uh have not tried to do that at all but it is definitely an interesting thing to think about that there are these things that we kind of uh we don't give them credit like people in in youtube chat will be saying oh it's his birthday today you know you should you should play him and (laughs) you know we're like well you can't really quantify that at all but you're right there is still maybe that adds a little bit of variance to it like maybe there are some players you know who are going to play better on their birthday because they're in a good mood or maybe maybe the opposite maybe some players drank too much you know there's a lot of different ways that it could go but there's certainly something to qualitative analysis uh so i I talked about this with travis petty a little bit because he you know as you said he, he does his own uh projections and he you know uh does his knows rotations better than anybody. Uh, and you, you mentioned that you actually do listen to player quotes. Uh, he said, I, I asked him the question, like, do you listen to coaches? Like when coaches talk about players, like, do you put a lot of stock into listening to coaches? And he was like, no, coaches lead you astray more often than not. Uh, but what, what, what kinds of things do you look at? Uh, so you said that you 
you listen to when, when players say that their coaches are in town. Um, but on that same level, do, do you listen to, you know, coaches, uh, news conferences, or do you watch a lot of all of the sports that you play? I mean, obviously you, it sounds like you watch a ton of MMA. So that is a qualitative, a way that you can do some qualitative analysis. Uh, and, and do you also just listen to what the fighters themselves or, or the athlete keep it more broad uh, you know you can encompass other sports as well do you listen to what the athletes themselves are saying what their coaches are saying are you watching what are you doing to kind of uh, get these qualitative edges uh, yeah i can't give away too much here and i think there are, there are ways to outsource this and I, again this is where you have to be obsessive and do the work but yeah travis is right obviously like a lot of coaches lie but you can track that right you can literally go through and start you can start today right and um I don't even follow NBA, so I don't even know who the coaches left in NBA. Uh, Eric Spolstra, right? When Eric Spolstra says this, he really means it. When he says this, he doesn't mean it. And you just keep meticulous notes. That way you can go back to, all right, this coach, Doc Rivers, said this today. But historically, when Doc Rivers has said this, he doesn't do that, right? Yeah. So if you keep meticulous notes, you can certainly do that. And MMA is a dangerous game because, in, in fact, a lot of these are dangerous because it's a human game, right? And I made this com this uh, this comparison on, on Blender's podcast. Like, MMA... Even if we knew the fighter's game plan ahead of time, somehow we had inside information in their camp, we could still be wrong because the fighter goes out there and completely abandons their game plan, right? So the biggest thing is, is really just taking notes and, and turning qualitative data into quantitative data. Instead of going on with a limb, this guy said this, I'm going to do this. Ones and zeros, when this has happened, historically, this has happened. And that's how you can find success doing that. Yeah, makes sense to me. Uh, I want to read back. You, you kind of already said the same thing on this show, but I, I want to read it back to you and kind of have you expound on it, maybe potentially if you'd be willing. Here's something you said when you were on the theory of DFS. You said, I would actually argue in MMA, I don't even think my approach is that exploitative. I think the sport is so young that the edge isn't realized yet. My fingers are still crossed that it doesn't turn into NFL showdown where all the pros flock to it. I actually think I play pretty optimally in MMA. I put a dedicated strategy into each individual slate if i put a lineup in there there's a reason that lineup is in there i play it pretty straightforward uh so you you say this but you're also you're not being duped so so like you, you clearly you you have a mind to so when you say that you're playing it pretty straightforward you obviously don't mean you're just playing the highest projected lineups in your uh according to your projections right you, you're not playing just the highest projected because i assume even though you know, you, you have your own projections. You say you think they're they're the best out there, but you're still not just playing the, the highest projected, right? Because that would still lead you to a ton of dupes, I assume. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't just like flat out just put in the 150 that you feel the best, right? There's there's ownership to think about and, and game theory and construction and whatnot. So, but really what I was saying from a standpoint of, I don't think people are projecting it the right way. And I don't think people are understanding ranges of outcomes the right way. And I don't think they're building lineups the right way. So you combine all this together. I'm not... Unlike showdown in NFL now, where I have to actively think about what I need to do. Sure, there's some decision points I have to make on each MMA slate. But to me, going in, I know that if I do this and this and this, and I'm tweaking it every single week, right, because I'm trying to improve no matter how much I've won. As long as I do this, this, and this, I can pretty much be sure that I'm going to be playing pretty optimally. And as long as I'm not getting duped, that's how I know the edge is massive, because I feel like I'm playing the best I could possibly play without – because game theory comes into play too, right? You can't just enter the best lineups, like you said. So as long as I'm removing that portion, right, not playing the best projected lineups, I feel like I'm playing the best way possible. And I don't have to really try that hard to try to get different or unique because I feel like I'm playing it the best, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. Uh, 
to me to to an extent at least mma is uh, I, I was telling you before the show that i i feel like of every sport that i play mma might be the one that i have the most difficulty wrapping my head around i just i struggle a lot with the you know there's there's no correlation and oh, yeah. even even the lowest owned fighters on some slates it'll be like eight percent owned like no nobody's that low owned so i i struggle a lot with uh lineup construction in mma trying to get unique and trying to figure out what lineups can i play that are going to be unique but still have a chance to win and it sounds like you you've kind of solved that that algorithm for yourself of how can i play lineups that are uh that have a reasonable chance of winning but also uh aren't going to be duped and, and usually you, you do a pretty good job of getting like zero dupes like you're not even shooting for you know five or under a lot it seems like you're near the top of the board generally in terms of dupes um on that page we we got a couple questions from the audience about dupes in particular uh i'll start with this, uh, this one that i got from uh discord somebody asked how do you determine dupes for mma and, and i'll just say is, is it an elaborate process i know uh you might not want to share your exact process but uh what what kind of thing like is it an elaborate process for you to determine dupes or is it kind of a, a simpler algorithm it was elaborate to start when i was first getting into it you know probably may or june of 2020 it was pretty elaborate trying to figure out the optimal way now i can pretty much tell when I'm building lineups and I'm looking at them post-build, uh, that'll be fine. That's unique. Or like, uh, I don't know, this one's on the line. Maybe I can change it, make this one little swap and it'll be fine. Um, so it's mostly by feel at this point, but I do have a, a duplication calculator that I think it's, it's you could probably, if you, if you follow a sport, you could probably build one and figure it out. You know, if I leave X salary, then this means this for dupes or whatever it may be. So um, for this, at this point, it's mostly straightforward for me, but uh, anytime it's a tricky situation, I'll refer to the dupe calculator and then and make a decision. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, follow up, I got, I got a listener question from at Jesse Williams 34 on Twitter asking, how long did it take you before you started seeing a high percentage of under five duped lineups. He's really been focusing on this and his percentage is still not where he wants it for MMA. Any tips without giving away too much? You gotta, gotta microdose some LSD, man. You gotta just <laughs> open your brain, open your range of outcomes of what's possible. That Honestly, that's the biggest thing, right? And, and maybe not take drugs, but just think about what's more possible than usual. That That's the biggest thing. And then uh, really what it comes down to for me is I, I because I do the research, when, when it first started, I was playing for action, like March 2020. I was like, oh, this could, this could be fun. It's the only thing on. There's some decent prizes. And then I saw a couple of things like, wow, this might actually be really profitable. And then I just put some thought into it. And just because my brain thinks that way and I had the NFL showdown experience, it was like one or two slates. I was able to get it uh, under, under five dupes for the most part. So uh, I really don't have a, a huge uh, piece of advice here. It's really just open up your lineup thinking of what's possible. Yeah, and a little LSD can't hurt, right? I mean, <laughs> if LSD is what it takes, do, do the LSD. It takes if, you LSD. If, you if you can't get there on your own, then, yeah. you know, hit somebody up. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm, I'm repeating kind of, a, a lot of these questions are all kind of similar because I think a lot of people are getting at the same thing, but I'll see if you have a different answer. Uh, at 12 Pack Abs asks, any suggestions on MMA lineup construction for those of us who are MMA knowledge challenged? Um, Again, without giving away too much, I think the biggest piece of advice here is probably just build a lineup look at projections or however you you decide ufc right like if you if you analyze fights you listen to touts you, you use projections use an optimizer whatever it may be right start building lineups and just see what pops up first and just figure that most people are probably going to start building that way right unless you have a very unique approach most people are going to build that way scrap that entirely 
and you got to change it completely because uh, there was a slate in Blender that I talked about this, where there was only one combination. If you played the three highest priced favorites, there's literally only one lineup you can make. And it was like one of the most duped lineups in MMA history, right? And it just comes to think about what are people likely to do? What are you likely to do? Because odds are, unless you've super studied it, you're going to fall into whatever trap that the field is going to fall into, right? So what is most likely, how, what's the field most likely going to do? And then just think like, all right, let's take a step back. Let's trash that. Let's start new and think of a different approach. That makes sense. Uh, if you if you saw me checking my phone just now, uh, it's because I'm checking the weather. Can you can you hear the uh, the thunderstorm rolling through here right now? No, I cannot. You have some good oh, okay, uh, noise yeah. cancellation. Okay, I, I guess I must. Yeah, it's, uh, it was it was coming coming down a little bit. Looks like it's just going to be a brief thing though. So I'm still on for softball tonight. There uh, we go. So I'm glad I'm glad to hear that it's not coming through the audio. Um, all right. Uh, next, uh, Choke Holdem on Twitter asks. Do you set any groups in your optimizer for low owned or leverage plays or do your boost their projections? Uh, also, uh, do you do, what do you do differently in your process for MMA as opposed to team sports? Yeah. So uh, I have my own optimizer, optimizer and it was built just to, because the way I play, right? So I don't have to change too much. I've tried other optimizers. They just don't work for personally how I play. I'm not saying they don't work for other people. For personally how I play, most optimizers don't do what I'm trying to do. So fortunately, I don't have to make too many rules. But yes, I do make some rules uh, for each sport. And the biggest thing is obviously the correlation, where you're making so many correlation rules in other team sports, especially like NFL Classic. But individual sports, I, I, I leaned on that crutch a lot. In NFL, right? I just know that if I three one stack, and we, we, I know we've talked on Twitter about this, right? It's three one stack, and I, it's likely plus DV. I can lean on that. Here, you can't you can't rely on any correlation, right? You have to rely on rely on projections and game theory and lineup construction. And uh, I, again, I'm just willing to put in the work there. So, no real tips other than just just study study lineups what people are doing. Yeah. All right. Makes sense to me. Um... Anything else that you want to say about MMA before we move on, just because so many people have expressed interest in it? No, God, no. We've, we've, we've talked about it enough. All right. You're, you're happy uh, not giving away too much more of your edge? All right. No, it's, it's fun to play. I'll say everyone should play. We need to make the prize pools bigger. So get, get as many lineups in as you can. Yeah, I agree. We, we've had at least one Millie Maker in the past year. Have there been, have there been a few Millie Makers, or was it just the one? No, it was just the one. And it was chopped. So uh, okay. we still got a solo Millie uh, vacant title. So I'm looking to get it if they ever offer it again. All right. Yeah, we got to we got to up those prize pools. Yeah, it, it is a fun sport. And I think that I am getting better at it over time. But it's still something I, I think for me, I'm just not really putting in the effort. I kind of decide like, usually a couple hours before the slate that I'm going to play. And then I start start really focusing on it like 45 minutes before the slate starts, which is probably not enough time. It sounds like to actually do well at the sport. It sounds like uh, takes a little bit more effort to, to be good at MMA DFS. And, and that's the other thing, right? I don't mind sharing some of this information because I know that Again, I'm obsessive, right? MMA, I know that I'm going to do the research all week. And then come Saturday, I'm going to spend four to six hours meticulously building lineups. So yeah. if people are going to do that, then I'm happy to, to share some top prizes. Most people probably aren't. So yeah. I'm okay with, with talking about it. Yeah, you can't teach work ethic and you can't teach, you know, having the, the time and the abilities that you have. So, uh, yeah, probably it's not going to be too huge of an issue for you. Um, let's talk a little bit about, yeah, 
fingers crossed is right. Let's talk a little bit about the Emotional Bankroll Podcast, which you just started actually uh, kind of around the same time that I started this podcast. You actually, you reached out to me. I think I was your fourth guest and you reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to come on my show? And I was like a little bit like, oh shit, like I'm just, I'm about to start a podcast for awesome. Like how much are we going to be, you know, stepping on each other's toes doing similar podcasts? And we have had a lot of the same guests and we do sometimes ask some similar questions, but I feel like uh, we, we gel well together. We ask different enough stuff that I, I find emotional bankroll really interesting. Uh, I, I enjoy the podcast. Uh, we, we got a listener question from Heatamost on Twitter who said, where did the idea come from for what is probably the best DFS podcast out there right now? Don't worry, Neil. Yours is second. Uh, ouch, Eric. Fuck yeah, you, dude, man. Come on. <laughs> Don't be a dick. All right. No, no, but seriously, I, I, I do. I, I love the podcast too. So I'm, I'm okay with him saying I really enjoy the Emotional Bankrupt podcast. Where, where did the idea come from? Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. What a listener question to, to your podcast. Right? So you're, you're How rude, best. man. Wow, man. I, I, I will say our, our, our podcast, they've been well-received, I, I see on Twitter. Uh, and, and for different reasons, I think, again, we do hit on different topics. So it makes it, makes it great. We've had different guests on. And uh, yeah, I think uh, you, you've done a great job so far. And I, again, I appreciate you having me come on and I'm, I'm glad you came on my podcast, but it came down to, uh, I was, so our, our, the, the PGA guy that I work with, his name is Niramata. I, I do shows with him and he's big into like the mental side of things. And when I first met him, uh, virtually he reached out to me about, uh, analyzing his DFS play and the contest selection and bankroll management side of things, because that's really where my start was. I, I focused on that side of things. And, as we talked more and more, he talked more about the mental side because he'd won big, then he lost a lot. And he's like, man, we should, we should talk about this more. And then he, he won like a 200K top prize and we, we did a, a podcast about it. And 
a lot of the podcasts ended up talking about that mental roller coaster. And afterwards, I was like, man, this, and it got good reception. I was like, man, I think people would really enjoy this side of things. And I know I would enjoy it. And it comes back to that conversation of if I'm going to enjoy it, I'll put the time into it. And uh, I said, well, let's, let's, and it, at the same time, because I was doing weekly shows with Colin about NFL Showdown. And he told me that he was leaving the industry. I was like, wow, this could be the perfect kickoff to this type of series. So uh, let me see if Colin's on board and then we'll try to make this a, a weekly thing. That's awesome. Yeah, so so one one conversation that uh, Alex and I have had just over the over the past day or two, we've been talking a little bit just about the goals of this podcast. Like, what, what is the the goal of uh, high stakes? Like, what what am I? What, who is my target audience? What do I want the people to take away from it? Uh, and it's it's an interesting topic. And for me, I mean, at this point, kind of my goal has been like, well, I want to talk with people about things that would interest me, and I hope that it's going to also interest other DFS nerds is kind of like my approach is just like, I'm just going to ask what interests me. I'm, I have access to these people that I wouldn't otherwise have access to. And I'm going to ask them the questions that interest me. And so far I'm just doing that and hoping that other people are entertained and interested in these things as well. But uh, who knows, maybe, maybe I will pivot a little bit at some point, but for you, what, what is the goal of the emotional bankroll podcast? I will say really quickly, I like listening to your shows because man, maybe there's a, a bit of a process from a, a top pro that I can pick up and implement somehow, right? That, that, and that's what I'm listening to. And I really like that you have those types of conversations. For me, it's twofold. One is to, is because in this industry, as I talk about on the show, right? There aren't many people to talk about these types of things with, right? No one really knows in your personal life, I would assume what it feels like to win six or God forbid, seven figures from a, a high standpoint. And then you go on a six figure downswing. Like no one knows what that feels like, right? That most people don't know what that feels like. So having a community of people to, to talk about that with and literally talking face-to-face -face with people who have done it at the highest level is, is therapeutic in a way to, to listen to them go through the same things and know that you're not the only person that, that feels some of those highs and those lows, right? Uh, but then too, I think I want to give a voice to some people who aren't typically heard from. And, and even the people that are heard from, they're always talking about what? What are the top plays today? Yep. What are the strategies? getting to know them as a person because for me and this wasn't a byproduct that i expected i was always i don't think jealous is the right word but anytime i saw a screenshot on twitter i would get annoyed like oh yeah that guy won great who cares i didn't win i don't give a shit whatever right but now it's like now i've seen the personal side of a lot of these people and when i see a screenshot i know that there's a lot behind that screenshot there are a lot of losses there's a lot of excitement that they won and maybe they, they, maybe they screenshot often, whatever, right? It's not my business anymore. If people win, I'm genuinely happy for them now. And I think that directly is a result of me talking to these people about these topics on the podcast. Yeah, for me, it's uh, it goes both ways. I love screenshots in general from most people. And then, of course, there are obviously those people that you see screenshots, you're like, oh, fuck you. Like, yeah, this guy again, come yeah, on. Always do. Yeah. Always. It's, it's always it's a matter of who the person is but in general i i am pro screenshot i, I like seeing people win uh, i can be happy for people uh a lot of dfs pros are pretty private though uh have, have you had any difficulty in getting people to come on and talk about some of their challenges some of their emotional challenges or just their general challenges in dfs yeah man i've had a couple people that have made their first time podcast appearance on my show and i'm very grateful that they've done that you should see my dms they're full of of uh, propositions to get people onto the show yep. and uh yeah it's just it's, it's it's tough work but ideally one of the big reasons i had some of the top name pros on early was to legitimize the show a little bit like yo look awesome i was on here brick was on here some of these other guys were on here 
uh, you know, would you think you'd want to do this? And I think they appreciate the transparency and it goes back to not a lot of people talk about these things. So I think they're happy to talk about it sometimes. So yeah, there's, there's definitely a, a target list of, of people I'm still trying to get and I'm working hard at it. And uh, if you see this and you want to come on the show, hit me up. I'm always looking for good stories. I, I had the same approach as you where I was like early on, I'm just going to get some heavy hitters and for the same reason, just like legitimize <laughs> yeah. it, make this something that people, yeah. you know, want to watch and, you know, you're more interested in hearing from some of these big winners like like Alex Brick, Petty, all, all the guys that I had on early. So definitely a, a similar approach there in terms of trying to draw an interest. And of course, uh, I think we're both trying to maintain that interest by continuing to have on yeah. high quality guests. Well, now it's the um, tough part, dude, because we've had all these good guests and it's got good receptions. Like, well, now I got to keep it up, shit. I know, it, it's <laughs> difficult, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, given that your show is partly focused on the emotional difficulties of playing DFS, would you ever consider interviewing a lifetime loser at DFS, or are you more disinterested in, in DFS pros? No, I would, I would happily. Uh, I'm sure I know plenty, plenty of them follow me on Twitter. I'm sure. Uh, no, I, I would, no, I would for sure. And it doesn't have to be a pro or whatever. It could be someone in a long losing streak or someone who just had, literally hasn't won. Yeah, I think that's that's important too because part of the the reason I do it too is people to connect, right? And whether you don't have to be a top DFS pro to know about the emotional bankroll or the, the ups and downs of roller coasters of your day job or your life relationships or whatever. A lot of people can relate to that. And I've gotten responses that, oh, I don't play DFS that seriously, but oh, I went through this in X industry or something like that. And I think a lot of people who listen either want to be a top pro or want to be a pro period. And they, they listen to that, or there are people who are going through it and literally can't win. They would probably benefit from being like, okay, I'm not the only person who goes through this. Yeah, for sure. I, I should have asked you early on, uh, just to give like a general overview of Emotional Bankroll Podcast. I think people can kind of figure it out by the by what we've talked about, uh, just about what kind of content is on the show. But it's not all just about like, tell me about your biggest losses. Like that's, it's a part of the show to talk about the Don Swings and stuff. But what, how would you describe uh, the Emotional Bankroll Podcast overall? It is a look into the life of people who play, whether it's, DFS or sports betting or even poker in some instances at a high level and what that roller coaster looks like from a financial standpoint, from a mentality standpoint, and also what their lifestyles look like. And if I can sneak in some process questions and try to pick their brain, then I try to do that as well. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's an entertaining show. I would definitely recommend it to people. Uh, I'm tempted now to ask you some of the questions that you regularly ask guests on your podcast, but I believe I've seen references on Twitter. People have been asking for, you need to have somebody come on and interview you on your podcast. And I believe I've seen references to the fact that you may soon have a guest uh, do, do be the guest host on your podcast, and then you would be the guest uh, doing the interview. Is that correct? Uh, I, I don't want to steal any thunder from the show. If that is the case, am I correct that that is in the works? You've got somebody who's going to come on and interview you? Yes, yes. I, I haven't set a date yet, but yeah, I've gotten a lot of requests, and uh, a lot of close friends and family have requested it too, which I don't know how I feel about them getting <laughs> uh, getting those answers. But yeah, it's uh, it's, it's in the works, and uh, it's something that I'd be happy to talk about too. I mean, if you, if you want to ask a question, we can go for it. We can cover different questions on that on that interview, so. Oh, I, I was just going to ask about, you know, for you, have you had, uh, you know, downswings where you have considered quitting DFS and you've questioned yourself as a player? Is that something that you've ever really struggled with where it's gotten to the point of, holy shit, maybe this is not for me that, you know, have you, have you considered like quitting DFS and going to find a regular job somewhere? Dude, like every three months. Yeah. And that was another big reason to focus on small field contests, right? Was one, I saw the edge there. But two, it's like this this can weather the storm in between these GPP wins because there would be times, like literally five months, because I was exclusively playing very high variance for the most part, 150 max contests exclusively. And, you know, you don't win those very often. So yeah. I would go like five months and be down like 
60, 70, maybe 120K or something like that. And that's insane to think about. And then at the bottom of that, you're looking like, okay, am I going to run out of money? Do I have to go back to that godforsaken job? Do I have to deal with, I don't know, the, the shame of like, hey, I, I went out, I put myself out there and did this, told my friends and family and people I'm close to that I'm going to do this full time. And then you have to go back to that job. That's not a good look, right? That, that's yeah. an embarrassing look. So yeah, that, that, that always happened. And, you know, I'm trying to, to smooth that out a bit with the small field integration into my play style. But yeah, it's, it's, I don't see how you could do this professionally and not feel any of those feelings. Yeah, and, and we've seen some some top pros who have gone out on top. I mean, Drewby, as, yeah. as you talked about with him, he just quit, and he was still a great player at the time that he quit. Um, we just saw John Breslin came on, and he uh, kind of announced on this show that yeah. he's quitting DFS. Or he's going back to his job. I don't know that he's quitting DFS, but he's quitting as a DFS pro. He's not going to be doing it professionally anymore. So it, it seems like a lot of people, even even great players, are like, man, I don't know. Uh, that this is sustainable, and, and maybe that is just the the emotional toll on them. Of man, it's tough, and especially especially I know John has kids. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't know. I think Drewby does too. Makes it probably tougher to uh, to maintain this kind of lifestyle if you have kids, and this kind of emotional toll of the, the losing streaks make is probably tougher when you've got kids who are relying on you as well. I would imagine. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, those, those guys are legends too. If we're going out, how they how they're going out. I mean, just ultimate ultimate yeah. pros uh appreciate both of them so yeah it's yeah it's uh yeah it's not easy but um i the question i always ask my guests is would you would you trade it right no no the, the pros are way more than the cons and it, it and people may say well, it was like you asshole you just won like 300k in three weeks like how could you possibly say any of these things right it's like yeah well you're catching me at a good time which is why i'm happy to do all these shows right you ask me at the middle of a downswing or the end of a downswing to do all these shows i mean i don't know if i feel like doing them so uh I, I don't know man it's um but i think just talking about it, it literally helps right and yeah. knowing that other people do it it's it, it literally it actually helps you deal with it um so yeah i think it's important yeah. And you, you had me on your show, uh, going back to that, you had me on when I was like doing really well. I just quit my job and then I crushed immediately after <laughs> quitting my job. And now I'm on like a five month downswing and it's the, the Sucks, largest, man. the largest downswing of my life uh, in DFS uh. right now. And it's been, and it continues just a couple of days ago. I got third in MLB lost to a couple unstacked lineups. And I'm like, man, how do I, how do I keep doing this? I just can't uh. get there. But you know, I soon, man, I'm, I mean, you, you know how it is, right? It's, it's when you feel like you literally can never win again, that's when the next win comes. And, yeah. And that's that's kind of how I feel right now. I'm I'm starting to gain hope again though, so maybe maybe I need to lose that hope so I can go back and, and win something. But uh, yeah, real definitely... real quick, real quick, because you, you need somebody to tell you that, and I, yeah. I'll be the one. I'll tell you that you're going to win soon, Neil. It will happen. And speaking of going back to listening to other successful people talk, I think I said this on one of my shows one time. Didn't you tweet recently that you don't know who Jack Harlow is, right? Correct. Okay, so do do you now know who Jack Harlow is? I Googled him. I, I saw that he's a rapper. That's that's all I know. I, I haven't even listened to his stuff yet. Okay. Well, he's, he's a successful dude, obviously, right? And I, I listen to some of his interviews sometimes. And he said one thing that it applied. I was like, wow, are you, are you playing DFS or are you, are you a rapper? Because he was talking about he had so much success um, after after like his, his first singles and his, his first album. And he felt the pressure. I got to put out a hit every single time. He's like, most of the time, I feel like I'm never going to put out a hit ever again. And I literally need someone in my circle to tell me, yo, like, dude, you're fucking amazing at this. You're going to put out an exit. Look at what you've done. 
Like you're going to do another one. And I was like, man, that's exactly how I feel when I'm on a downswing. It feels like I'm never going to win again. I need somebody to tell me, yo, you're actually good at what you do and a win's going to come. So um, you're Jack Harlow in this situation, Neil. So I'm telling you that you'll put out another hit very soon. I appreciate that, Brad. I appreciate you uh, giving me some encouragement. Um, uh, Well, well, you're on the other side of this right now. You've been crushing it in MMA. Uh, Here's a question that you... Uh, asked me, or at least it was on your question sheet. I'm not sure if you ended up asking me this one, but how do you not get a big head? Like, how do you not get a big head when you are winning the amount that you do? What do you do to kind of try to stay level-headed? Oh man, it's tough, dude. It's uh, it's really tough too because I, I'm feeling so good right now, and it's uh, it's really <laughs> King of the hard. world. Yeah, man. So uh, yeah, and I know it's 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 annoying to talk to someone when they're on the opposite end of this, right? So yeah. I, I totally understand. So do decision. I need to do the opposite here? Do I need to tell you, Ryan, you will lose again? At some point, you're going to lose an MMA slate. Do I need to, to tell you do the opposite? Uh, my results last week showed me that. So I, I don't know oh, if okay, I need okay. any encouragement on that result. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just, I just, I, honestly, I just look back at my results and um, I just, I just know. I, I'll just literally look at a graph be like, look. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com/get100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Here's the peak. You know what comes after a peak? right? Just be prepared for it. And it goes back to that paranoia too. It's like, ah, I, this, this isn't going to last forever. This is not going to last forever. So um, yeah, I'm enjoying it while it's happening. And it's just kind of one of those things where you're just like, I can't believe this is happening. This is super exciting and, and fun to do, but uh, give it a couple of weeks or honestly, I think you said on my show, if you don't win for a week, like you feel like you're, yeah. you're in a bad spot. So, you know, give me a couple more losing slates. I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll be right back to normal. Yeah, and that's something that Blender talks about all the time is that typically I think winning players, this is what Blender says, winning players have so much more doubt than losing players. And I think oh, yeah. you and I are probably uh, similar in that mindset where it's like, 
if you win, it's like, okay, thank God, you know, as well as thank God you, you, I've realized that edge. Uh, yep. And, and then when you lose, it's like, maybe I'm never going to win again. Whereas bad players are like, oh no, I'm just, I'm getting unlucky. I, I lose because I'm getting unlucky. Whereas winning players are like, I win because I, I got a little bit lucky on this slate. So oh, yeah. I guess it's, it's natural to, if you are a winning player, I think you typically kind of have that mindset maybe to, uh, expect to lose more often than you win so maybe it's just natural to to not get a huge head except for obviously like the day or two after a big win like we all get big heads right for a little bit i do i posted a video of myself celebrating like come on let's <laughs> let's let's be real here right like we we, we definitely feel that way the day of or a couple of days after right so I, no I, the key is self-awareness right just understanding what position you're in there yeah. are other people not not doing this well that you're not going to do this well forever so it's it's it's, it's all just a, a realization of, of where you are in, in the cycle yeah that makes sense. Uh, anything else you want to say about the Emotional Bankroll Podcast before moving on to a few more listener cues? No, the biggest thing is, I'm again, I'm always looking for interesting guests. So and you don't have to be a pro. I've had, I just had a guy who graduated college uh, talk about his sports betting bankroll boost, right? Like, it doesn't have to be a top player. So if you think you have an interesting story to tell that can relate to people, just hit me up. I'm happy to have you on the show. Awesome. Right on. Let me take a minute away from this conversation with Brian Jester to remind you to give us a like and subscribe so you can keep up with all of our shows, DFS offers, giveaways, and much more. Once you subscribe, hit that notification button to get alerts when our shows go live. Be sure to also check out our monthly podcast giveaway. Just subscribe to our podcast channel and leave a five-star review with your Awesomeo username or Twitter handle to be entered to win a free month of Awesomeo Plus Platinum. All right, we got a listener question from Mike. He says, hey, Neil, more of a general question, but I want to know, when do pros withdraw money and move it from gambling funds to more real life funds? Is it a percentage of a big win, small amounts over time? I've definitely found I've taken out too much and then found myself a bit short, especially once I got limited to the bigger contest. Hope that makes sense. Thanks. Uh, so, so what, what is your answer? When, when do you withdraw money and move it to uh, real life funds instead of your gambling funds? Yeah, I didn't really have a great answer, honestly, for the last couple of years. Um, and I don't know if a lot of people have great answers, but Recently, what I've been doing, and I found it kind of, it also is that smoothing out process and it helps with the mental side of things is let's say every month, let's, let's take out a deposit of what my expenses were for the month or uh, any, anything, I, I, my mortgage, whatever it is. And now it feels like I got a paycheck from DraftKings or FanDuel, whatever, right? So I know on May 5th, I got my, my quote unquote paycheck coming through and yeah, that's going to decrease my, my DraftKings balance sum and my bankroll sum, but I don't have to you know, play this game of which money goes where. And so I find that that has helped me pretty recently too. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I'll tell you a little story. So I tend to take out too much money when I win. <laughs> uh, and I, I definitely do not, I still don't have a good, it's something that I'm working on trying to, cause now, now that I'm so doing tough. this professionally, it's something that I'm working on. Like how much do I keep in my balances? Like how do I account for like business funds versus personal funds? Something that I'm always working, working on. But my story is so, so last year I was on a major heater in like, April, May, June, like I had a, a long heater going. So July comes and I've withdrawn a lot of money, but I'm losing at the beginning of July. So I uh, keep depositing money and I hit my deposit limit in July. Dude. And like for multiple days could not play because I had hit my deposit limit. And I'm like trying to mess them. Like, look at my account. I've won 150,000 in the past three right. months or whatever it was at the time. Like I'm, I'm not the person that you're trying to avoid putting in more than this deposit limit, but because I had taken out 
too much money from my account. Despite being on one of the biggest heaters of my life, I couldn't play because I could not uh, deposit money for like several days and working with the, the, and they're usually, I've actually in general had good experiences with uh, DraftKings reps when I'm trying to, to uh, deposit money. But at that point, wh whatever it was, for some reason, I had to go through multiple steps and multiple emails to be able to deposit again on DraftKings. So there was a period where I just couldn't play because <laughs> they would not allow me to deposit money. So Dude, that uh, hits so close to home. Like that's, I, I've been through that and the hurdles you have to jump through to get that deposit. And they're like, we need you to provide income proof. I was like, dog, I won the millionaire maker like nine months ago. Why don't you just yeah. look, right? I have the money, right? <laughs> like, I don't know what you want me to say. Yeah, that's uh, that's certainly a problem. Um, yeah, that's all I'll say about that. It, it definitely happens, and I, I feel yeah. free there. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. So uh, leave enough money in your accounts that that is not going to happen to you where you're going to hit your deposit limits. Uh, that's that's the only advice that I can give because yes. it is frustrating when you can't deposit more money. Uh, all right. Another listener question uh, that I got from Discord. Jester mentioned that his brother does back-end coding for him on the pot he did with Blender, I think. What language do they code in, and does Brian run uh, tournament-level sims? Yeah, he's the real MVP, right? As we talked about earlier. Um, most of it, both the lineup builder, which he helped, my business partner actually created it. Uh, Moose did help on that. And then all of the modeling and kind of, you know, data pools, I'll say, data projects, Moose runs. It's, from what I understand, mostly in Python. There's some stuff that he does, I think is another language that I don't know about, but okay. mostly in Python. Okay. And are you running uh, tournament level sims? I think you said earlier in the pod that you don't. No. And... <sighs> I don't know, man. I go back and forth on Sims. You know, I don't even go back and forth. I think mostly they're a negative for most people. They're obviously people that use them very well. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a big disconnect between what the Sims are telling you and what you need to do with your lineups. Because a Sim could tell you this is the best lineup to play, but that, that lineup obviously could be duped 150 times or whatever, right? And then if you look at, there have been three separate Sims that have been brought to my attention for MMA specifically. They look at tournament level Sims. And uh, two on Twitter, one in our Discord. And in every single simulation, every single time, I have by far the worst expected value of any 150 maxer every single time. And I think to myself, I don't know what is going into that sim. Clearly, it's wrong, right? <laughs> but two, please continue to judge expected value that way. And if that's going to continue to happen, we had a actually lengthy conversation in our Discord about it recently, what goes into it and whatnot. But I'm believe me, I'm totally okay with it. And I think that uh, because I play so differently, a lot of Sims won't capture what I'm doing. So um, yeah, I personally don't, but I see others do it. I know there is value, but I think it can cause a decent amount of harm if you don't know how to use them properly. Yeah, I think I, I'm kind of the same. I mean, you say that you go back and forth, but not really. You're, you're mostly just, uh, you don't think they're used correctly. They hurt people more than they help. And I definitely... I'm like, Sims seem like they could be potentially the future if people knew how to really do them well on a, on a tournament level. So from on, on an actual like lineups level of the DraftKings tournament itself, as opposed to uh, the, the games themselves, it could be really the future. But there's always so much human input into simulations. Yeah. And I think people think of it as being like, oh, well, if the computer does it, then it's going to be completely objective and, you know, it's going to be perfect. And it's just impossible to do. There's always going to be, you know, it's all based on human input. So it's impossible for Sims yeah. to be completely objective. So, um, yeah, I think uh, that's a good case in point that I, I've seen. I mean, we I think we use uh, at least one of the same simulators that uh, somebody has provided to us. Uh, I also uh, show negative EV for my lattice, which might actually be accurate, unlike yours. No, it's a good uh, thing. If, if you're negative EV in those sims, I'm telling you. Because it comes down to the inputs. Like you said, there's, there's a, a couple big issues with it, especially as, as MMA goes. But I mentioned, I think my projections are the best. So if they're not using my projections, 
they're using whatever projection system they're using, and I've already said projections are mostly bad in MMA, then the expected value is not going to be accurate. So uh, that, that's, that's one of the big issues. So uh, if you're showing minus EV, then you, you might be okay, Neil. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I go back and forth on Sims and yeah, so far I'm, you know, I, I've improved a little bit in, in that sense, but I have no idea uh, to no idea how much value to put into these sims. He, he clearly seems like a sharp guy, and I think anybody who's doing these sims oh, yeah. generally are going to be sharp people. But uh, oh, yeah. there is still obviously always going to be human input. So um, yeah, I think I think we'll trust your results here. Your your four six figure hundred thousand to two hundred thousand dollar wins. I think uh, speak more to me than whatever EV uh, your your lineups are calculated at. You like sims if they tell you your lineups are good. You yeah, don't, yeah, exactly. Do not like sims if they tell you your lineups are bad. Yeah, well said, well said. <laughs> All right, uh, I'll, I'll add in my own question here because you, you brought up your brother, Moose, a little bit. He, he's been brought up by other people as well. Uh, and you say that you also have a, a business partner. Is that different than your brother? You have your brother works with you and you also have a business partner. Okay. Um, so how, how much do you work with Moose and what, what is that like? Like, What kind of relationship do you have in, in professional relationship do you have? And is he also a DFS player or is it just kind of uh, for, for your sake, for your lineups? Yeah, so any, any partnership that, that I talk about is mostly from a business sense, right? Okay. Because I, I run businesses, and so that's the business partnership side of things. But I, I mean, anybody that I work with, whether it's on my site or anyone that I play DFS with that I'm in a group chat with of any sort, they can probably testify this to that. I, I, it may be 8 o'clock in the morning, and I'll say, yo, I got this crazy idea. What do you think of this? And I'll run some idea by them. So I'm always bouncing ideas off the people that I work with, the people that I, I talk with. And yeah, Moose and I have a fantastic relationship. I'm fortunate to have a brother like him. And we, we talk all the time about not just DFS, we're talking about a lot of different things, right? But I'm fortunate that he's willing to put in the work and but believe me, he gets compensated, right? So he, 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 he doesn't work with me on my lineups, but he works with me on anything that comes before that. Okay. Projections um any theories that we're testing any data pools that i may need any scripts that i need run he's working with me on those types of things because honestly i can't do it myself right and i couldn't do it without him so um he plays dfs but he's the type of guy that that doesn't and maybe i'll let him speak for himself on twitter but he's not willing to, put, to risk the money that i risk so yeah. he, he's like you know if you want to go do it you do it and you want to hit me off a little bit that's fine <laughs> so yeah i think that, that that's ultimately what it comes down to but yeah i mean i, I know there are people out there that work by themselves and i i I'm amazed by what they do, but yeah, I couldn't do what I do without the team that's around me. Yeah, for sure. That's great. Yeah. It's uh, I, so I don't, I don't work with anybody on DFS. Obviously I, I use tools from Osmo, but uh, it's, it's interesting to me hearing from uh, some top pros who do have like kind of teams built around them and it's sort of a different dynamic and seems, uh, I don't know, it, it fascinates me hearing from people that do work with kind of a team like you do and like Whistles Go Woo, I think works a little bit. He works with some friends of his uh, pretty closely. So it's interesting to hear those kinds of stories. And that sounds like a cool setup. And I think, I think there are varying levels to it too, right? Because like you have people who have direct partnerships. We work on lineups together. We split profits. And whether that's in terms, conditions or not, that's, that's an entirely different conversation. You have people who you work on NBA, I'll work on MLB, right? I think a lot of people who, who work for sites rely on that too right like let's say i'm a i'm an mlb writer for a site right i want to play some nfl i'm just going to pull up what our nfl writer for this site wrote about this slate i'm gonna use that advice or use the projections from the site i think that's kind of the same thing even though you and i you may feel like we're different i think it, it actually overlaps a lot mm -hmm. um but it also comes from the fact that if you're working for yourself you're working by yourself and you own your own entity you're able to have these conversations with people around you and you know i'm i I'm blessed to have to put these people around me who are willing to be involved in that. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting setup and uh, yeah, but again, there are varying levels to it on what that success looks like. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, we, we got a question from Justin McMahon, kind of an, an interesting one, a fun one for you. Spicy. Uh, who do you think is the best MMA GPP player excluding yourself? It's a great question. And because I look at contests differently and uh, different contests in different buckets, right? I'll throw out a couple names and this is not an exhaustive list. There are certainly players I probably miss. And uh, if you feel like I missed you, please let me know. But uh, um, I think in 150 max, there are varying degrees, but a couple of names that stick out to me. And if you guys want to go research their lineups, go study their lineups. They do things differently than I do, but I think they do a great job of it. One is Jay-Z Rucker. And these are names you probably don't hear or don't know much of, right? Yep. So Jay-Z Rucker, Harley Picker is another one. And then Daladino, maybe Daladino, Adam yeah. Dolan. He's a... Uh, he, he, I mean, you talk about thriving in chaos. This dude takes it to another level. He, he won 500K in showdown with like a Mercedes Lewis lineup. But he also has the legendary one, two, three finish in MMA GPP wow. late, 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 late last year, late the year before, whatever it was. Um, so I'm always, always looking to him for uh, his chaotic elements in his lineups. And then you look at the 555, the knockout king or whatever it's called, um, the knockout. Uh, any small field UFC GPPs. I think there are guys in there that are, are players in there that are fantastic that you probably don't see in other sports. It's Buffoon 13, Fantassin, and Skip Bitter. And those those three, I'm always looking at their lineups and saying, wow, they, they know what they're doing. They're great at this. I played the Thunderdome for the first time this week. Uh, had a little bankroll boost, and I'm trying to prepare for the live final because the live final mimics what the Thunderdome looks like. Uh, I am 0 for 1, so I'm not the, the best Thunderdome player right now. But uh, once I get some more data on there, I happily tweet out who I think is the best Thunderdome player. All right. Yeah, Th those are actually all names that I am at least vaguely familiar with. I know Buffoon13 okay. has been – he's been coming on on uh, other sports as well, playing a lot of MLB. Uh, he's got the uh, yes. the Mutant Ape Yacht Club logo, I think, yeah, on, yeah. Uh, on on DraftKings. Or maybe he switched it. I don't know. Um, what was it? Oh, Parley Picker. I, I recall that he won a tournament at one point where I believe he had – three fighters locked into every one of his 150 lineups. So he just locked in three fighters and then just did all the different combos and, and won all the money, won MMA slate. Yes, yes. And that, that's what I mean by, like, they, they play it way differently than I do, but I respect what they do because their uniques are pretty good and they at least have a dedicated strategy and they've had success. And I've seen Parley Picker near the top a decent amount as well yeah. as some of these other guys. Yeah, and Daladino is also another player that plays every sport. Uh, I think he's I think he's a fellow Minnesota guy. Yeah. Uh, so I've, yeah. I've been meaning to to look him up and maybe try to get him on this podcast. Potentially, uh, he's we're, definitely an interesting guy. We're, we're fighting for it. Believe me, if he's listening, oh, to this, for Adam, Adam, man, come on. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna come here. He's he's a Minnesota boy, so he's gonna want to come. I'll invite, I'll invite him out for a beer and talk him. God through. damn it! I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so that, that, was, that was a good question. I appreciate that question from Justin McMahon getting yeah. to uh, talk about some some other DFS players a little bit. Um, Another question we got uh, from from EOM Rules: Could you do it with one lineup? I, I assume he's talking MMA. Could you do it with one lineup? Uh, I'm currently 0 for one, so probably not. Uh, we'll see how this goes over the next uh, couple of weeks. But um, no, um, we're playing the con the constraints of the game. The constraint says you can play 150 lineups. If you're not playing that, you're at a disadvantage. So yeah, uh, if they play, if they started some new concept where you can only enter one lineup, I guess it's called single entry to most people. Yeah. <laughs> but if there was that, that was the only thing you could do, I would I would try to figure out a way. Yeah, and I, I would answer that, yes, you could. It would just take a lot longer for you to realize your edge. Like, it's just the fewer lineups you enter, the the longer it takes for you to realize your edge. Uh, and if and if your edge happens to be a negative edge, then it's going to take longer to realize that as well because you can lose money quickly with 150 or, you know, realize a positive edge quicker. So uh, I think that you could. It just would probably 
take a little bit longer than it has taken you to win four times in the past two years. Oh yeah, and on that note, I, I think this is probably against what most people might say. But when people are on losing streak, they say, "Brian, what can I, what can I do to to get out of this losing streak?" I actually say to play more lineups and play smaller contests, obviously. But you play more lineups because if if you're playing single entry, two thousand players, five thousand players, right? It's like you just said, it's it could take you an eternity, and you might never realize that edge. But playing more lineups. As long as they're good lineups, that's a big if, right? But you feel like you're, you're in a good process. Play more lineups to, to make sure that time horizon is way shorter than it would be if you're entering. You got to beat 49,900 people with one lineup, right? Yeah, that, that's a really interesting thought. Yeah, maybe something that I should consider. Although for me, it's like, well, I know that I'm best at large field GPPs. So uh, I don't know, maybe it probably depends person to person as well. But I do think that, that is definitely an interesting thought, uh, in interesting advice that maybe I maybe at some point I'll take that advice. If, uh, yeah, if 600, the, the 600 lineups, streak. 900 lineups, however many you can get in, you know, just the jam, yeah. man. All right, just just get that win anyway, any means <laughs> <Yes>. possible. <laughs> All right. Uh, Buff Stoney asks, I'd like to know what he does as far as setting goals and achieving them. That's a, a deep and good question. Um, yeah, so I think, and this, this comes from another book that I read recently where it's like goals, goals are good, right? Like you want to you do certain things, but you'd rather put a system in place that is, is plus EV. And it, naturally you'll hit your goals along the way. So instead of setting a goal, I want to win 400K in MMA GPPs this year. Your system is I want to have a great high risk plus EV. MMA GPP system and work towards accomplishing that goal. So I, I've, I've switched my mindset to that over the last year or so. And that came from a book uh, that I read recently that was about, it was about like, I can't remember what it was about, but like lifestyle choices or something like that. And I, and once I read that, it kind of clicked for me. So yeah, I do have some goals and I, it's, it's natural to have goals like that. I, I want to win another millionaire maker. I want to be the number one ranked MMA player. I want to win a live final. I want to do all those things, but that goes back to being tied to a system, right? I wanted to have profitable systems in each of these sports for, 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 for DFS, right? But then you also have your personal life, right? Like I want to be healthy. I here, let me put in a, a nutrition and exercise system. I want to have a great relationship with friends and family and, and my fiance. Let me put in some, and maybe this may sound mechanical, right? Or robotic, but what does that system look like? It doesn't have to be a definitive system, but like these are things I do to work towards those goals. Yeah, all right. Makes sense. That, that is a good answer to me. Uh, hopefully, that is uh, answers the what what the kind of thing that he was looking for. <laughs> um, and, and similarly, so Ahubra wants to know about your daily routine and habits. Are you are you somebody that has like a a usual bedtime, usual wake up time? What what, what is your daily routine and what kind of habits? Uh, what, what does it look like for you? Yeah, for the most part, and obviously it depends on the day, right? With because we're we're so sports specific, right? But yeah, I mean, when I was younger, I, I slept in like crazy, right? I hated to wake up early, but now, and I think this comes back to doing what I love to do, right? I'm up six thirty seven, like raring to go, or like I'm like honestly, today was a day where I had an idea. I woke up at like five thirty or something, and I was like, something was on my brain about DFS or, or work or something, and I was like, man you know, what if I do this? What if I was like, you know, fuck it. I'm just gonna get up and just start doing it. Right. And then I'll, I'll take a nap later if I want to. And that's why, I mean, that's why I do this. Cause I want the freedom to be able to take a nap in the middle of the day if I want to, but no, I, um, yeah, I, I have a checklist of things I try to do every day that, that helps keep me in line because without a boss, without anyone to hold you accountable, I think that can, you can, you can steer away from that sometimes. So yeah, I have a checklist of things, of things I want to do today, checklist of things I want to do this month checklist of things I want to do maybe in the next six months. Just try to just reference that and keep me in line. But uh, yeah, I, I try to exercise pretty much every day that I can. I, I try to eat healthy five, six days a week. Um, 
the, the one thing I don't do very well is, is be social. And I, you know, I, I'm an extroverted introvert, I would say where I'm, I'm, you know, when I'm out, I'm happy to talk to people, but I don't really like going out too much. So uh, that, that's something that I'm trying to be a little bit better at. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm kind of similar. I really enjoy being home, but also uh, once I'm out, I'm, you know, oftentimes my wife and I, we, we have similar personalities less now because we have a dog, but we used to be like, yeah, we'll be, we'll be the last people at the party. And then it's like, oh, shit, everybody's leaving. We got to get going. Uh, Cause we, once we're out, we're like, we're, we enjoy being out uh, right. as well. Um, yeah. I, and as far as daily routine, I, since I quit my job, I've definitely fallen into a stay up super late, get up super late, sleep in a little bit. And I've oh, been yeah. kind of trying to work on that and, you know, building in a little bit more daily routine recently, just to, just to get back into feeling like I have some semblance of a routine. Uh, and I think, I think it is helpful to have a little bit of a routine. So agree it's, with you there. It's, it's helpful for you personally, right. Just to, to have that routine, but also, I mean, it's all about optics too, right? Like when I work nine to five, if I left at like five Oh five, people would, people would notice that they wouldn't notice if I came in at eight 45 before they got there, but they would notice I left at five Oh five and I have conversations with my boss. It's like, yo, Brian, I saw you left at five Oh five today. It's like, all right, well, do you have any complaints about my work? Well, no, but it looks like it's like, okay, well, this is another reason I don't like working, but you have that optics with people you live with and people that you're friends with, if they see you go to bed at 2 a.m. and they're waking up at 7 a.m. to go to work, and you're like, oh, no, I'm sleeping in. That's not a great look, right? And that, if that happens repeatedly, that's not a great look. Now you're losing. You have nothing to show for on top of that. Now you're in a really bad situation, right? Yeah. You win 200K. It's like, all right, you know what? I'm waking up at 10 a.m. right? right. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, that, that plays a huge role. And people talk about that on the Emotional Bankroll Podcast. So you, I think you and I talked about it when we were not bragging about wins, but like just being proud of what you've done, that it could feel gross to some people. And I think, you know, those optics mean things to people that you care about and that you have a relationship with. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, on the same page with you there. Uh, all right, so let, let's close it out with... Uh, well, for, first, where can people find you before we close out with the, the question that I've been closing things out with asking you about your, your favorite win? Where can people find you? Uh, at, at Brian Jester FF on Twitter. Uh, that's the best way to find me. And the Emotional Bankroll Podcast is in all podcast apps. So just search for it. You Google it. You'll find it. Funny, I actually started listening to it on YouTube most recently, which, you know, it's a podcast. There's no video, so it's a little bit <laughs> odd to watch it on YouTube. I right. just, yeah, YouTube yeah. is where I get most of my content, and it's where I can sometimes I'll listen at 1.25, 1.5x speed. Oh, yeah. As I do, it's not you. It's everybody. I, I just listen to everything no, a little bit fast. You don't, dude. You got, no, you yeah. have, how do you get anything done if you don't okay. listen at 1.5? Good, good. <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page then. So, yeah, I uh, would recommend checking it out on YouTube. All right, Brian, let, let's uh, close it out. Tell me about your favorite DFS win and or your favorite DFS win win celebration it's it's got to be the millie there's no question about it if you want the full story it, it's on the youtube channel the Octopus okay. fantasy youtube channel go listen to it but I, briefly i'll say that i told you earlier we go to vegas every year for the super bowl because you can't bet in maryland right so we go out there put a lot of effort into the bets right and the year i won the millie it was me my brother a couple of close friends their family my parents were in town and I, this was my first, you know, big investment into 150 maxing, right? So we're at a Super Bowl party in Vegas as this is unfolding. And the, you figure this is a 13 to three Super Bowl. The crowd at the Super Bowl party is pretty restless. No one's really caring about the game anymore because it's such a boring game. Me, I'm invested as ever watching this game. Four minutes left, I'm on my feet watching the game. As, I, as, as you saw with my, my MMA video, I'm generally on my feet late, late in a sweat. And so I got my friends and family there. My parents are actually in a different Super Bowl party because they got there late. They're across town. So they missed the field goal. The final buzzer goes off. And as this whole time, I'm thinking, yo, this can literally change my life if I win this. 
goes off. All the people I care about are there. We're hugging, crying, right? Like just pure celebration. Then I call my parents to tell them what has happened. And they're, they're as I said in the interview on the YouTube channel, they're incredibly drunk at this point. So they, they kind of understand what's happening, but they're super happy. I mean, you can't, you can't draw up a better celebration for a win because most of the time it is like the one I posted this past week where you're in the basement by yourself and you're cheering right. and fist pumping and high-fiving nobody. Yeah, that, that, that is an incredible story. Did you win by enough that you had uh, no concerns about like a stat change or something after lock? Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was like a four-point win. Um, okay. I was very concerned on the final drive because it shut yeah. down, right? But uh, right. once the field goal was missed, I, it was... Yeah, I was yeah. pretty, pretty confident. Four points is pretty safe. That, that'd be a major stack correction. That is, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's an incredible story. I actually, uh, so, somebody that I have thought about having on potentially on this channel uh, or on, on this podcast, but I'm probably not going to, but uh, there was a guy who at the Tournament of Champions. So uh, last year, the first Tournament of Champions, 2020, 40-person field, first place wins a Millie, everybody else wins nothing, right? So, sick. so there was a guy who was in first place and he had gotten into the Tournament of Champions by... Uh, he split a showdown like 50 ways. Oh, so he won like $30,000 to get in. So, he, so I think that was his biggest win at the time it was like a 30, maybe $40,000 win. Uh, yeah. and then he, and then he won the, the play in to get into the tournament of champions with two minutes left or, or so around two minutes left. He was winning a million dollars. And then like, and it's a meaningless game at this point. This is, this is chiefs bucks. Like yeah. there's nothing really on the line for these teams. Oh, Patrick man. Mahomes passes like a six yard pass to Tyreek Hill. And that's enough for Travis Petty one. Uh, so, and, and this guy goes from winning a million bucks to winning absolutely nothing. And he looked like a ghost after, I mean, he, and he was a really nice guy. Somebody I had talked to a lot. He was really friendly guy. I, I felt terrible for him. So uh, if you want, I can look up his name. Maybe, maybe you should have him on uh, the emotional bankroll, oh, but it, yeah. it goes both ways, right? You know, you, oh, you, we, you and I both have those, those Millie wins that are the most exciting thing ever. And then there's these, people on the other side of it where it's just man that's heartbreaking you don't see it often right because you only see the screenshots right those live finals are a glimpse into what it looks like to win and lose and the the football live final was great and some people like that are what makes the live finals great because yeah you get to see pros that you may have seen on twitter or you talk to sometimes and you get to see them and, and talk to them but the people who make that make it there and weren't expected to make it there hearing their stories and talking to them and they're, they're just excited to be there and be amongst all the people and be a part of the the party uh but oh god i can't imagine what that poor guy was going through <laughs> yeah and then and, and and travis petty would and i felt uh two different ways about because i'm like i really enjoy travis petty i really he's, he's a really nice guy and i was really happy for him that he won and i'm also like does he really need it though yeah like, dude come on he, he, he wins so much and, yeah what is, does he need this million bucks this other guy probably needs it more i'm sure and of course I, you, i'm sure travis will tell you that he definitely does need yeah it, so. yeah i'm sure he will uh all right brian uh th this is a really fun interview i really appreciate you coming on the show uh, people can check you out again at Brian Jester FF on Twitter. Uh, check out the Emotional Bankroll podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, thank you to Mike Lawrence for producing episode 14, producing as always. Uh, and, and thank you for watching. You can find episode 15 of High Stakes next week on the Awesome YouTube channel or wherever podcasts live. Have a great weekend.
Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.